Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa. Shalom. What is going on? What is happening? Bonjour, bonsoir. Monsieur Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Senor, senorita, que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Love, peace, harmony, unity, listening, learning, growing, evolving. Much better place, much better world, much better society, much better ah, place to be right now. I'm recording this on a... Wednesday night, wait, Wednesday night, right after AEW's Dynamite. So why do I have so much energy? So why do I have so much passion? Why do I have so much energy and so much enthusiasm in my voice when I know in about seven hours I'm going to have to get up and uh, start the work day? Why do I have that? Because ding dong, the bitch is dead. Clapped your hands, smacked your head. Ding dong, the bitch, the wicked bitch is gone. So man, it's so nice. They're so nice. And look, I'm going to say this right now. And yeah, this is a sports talk show. But remember, we're always talking about sometimes the world which infiltrates the world of sports. When world issues happen, which infiltrates the world of sports, you know I'm going to talk about it. So, in special dedication to Jamel Hill, I'm going to say this. Let me tell you something, man. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they weren't my first choice. They weren't my ideal choice. It definitely wasn't Bernie Sanders. But in terms of who I wish could have been... Uh, running for president of this country, wish it was someone younger, wish it was someone that I had a little bit more faith in, wish it was uh, someone not Joe Biden. But let me tell you something, I would pick I would pick roadkill over the person that we have now. So this is not a joy and happiness in terms of, I think Joe Biden's gonna be the person that's gonna solve all our problems, that Joe Biden is gonna bring peace and unity and love and happiness to those who are, so hell-bent on believing the lies and stupidity that was uh, brought onto them by the other party. I'm not going to believe that all of a sudden now that COVID's going to be gone tomorrow, we're going to be returning to our lives in terms of the way we lived our lives socially before this pandemic happened. I'm not, I'm not believing that. I realize that there's a lot of dark days ahead for this country, for this world. I understand that it's going to get worse before it gets better. I understand that there's a lot of cleaning up that uh, President Biden had to do. I, I understand all of those things. I understand that uh, financially, I'm not all of a sudden now going to just be turning the corner in terms of, uh, you know, buying Maseratis and buying homes and buying women. I understand all of that st stuff is not going to happen. Joe Biden is not responsible for the for my existence and turning my my world turning my space into a better place but i tell you what man it's going to be very nice that we are no longer the complete and utter joke of the world it's going to be nice that we have someone competent someone moral someone compassionate to others someone who's not looking to uh become a dictator someone who actually knows what they're doing 
It's going to be nice to have that in the White House. It's going to be nice not to have the chaos. It's not. It's going to be nice to have someone who's a uh, grown-up running the country. So with that, I say, phew, and I say, thank you, Lord Jesus, Allah, Jehovah, whoever that you uh, want to say thank you very much to, thank your lucky stars, because 74 million morons were too fucking stupid to realize that we were so, so close to having this democracy here in this country uh, be torn apart. But some folks, hey, you know what? Whether it's ignorance, whether it's selfishness, whether it's being unaware, whether it's whatever their reasons are, thank goodness that uh, we're not going to be going down that road. And again, this is not to say that all of a sudden Joe Biden in four years is going to uh, make America the superpower unbelievable and fix all of the uh, mistakes and the damages and the destruction that was caused by the former administration. But uh, again, as I mentioned before, a guy who actually can put a couple of sentences together and not embarrass himself and not embarrass me and not embarrass you and not embarrass this country is something that I'm... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I'm looking forward to. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, on the topic of sports today, and I'll be giving a little bit of my hip hip parade, Joe Biden is here, Donald Trump go away uh, type of uh, thoughts and opinions a little bit deeper at the end of my podcast. So, ooh, you want to stick around for that, don't you? On the um, podcast today, when well, I'm going to be talking about sports-wise, we got the NFL Conference Championship to talk about. We have the recap a little bit about what happened in the divisional playoffs between Buffalo and Baltimore and Kansas City and Cleveland and the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams and the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Green Bay Packers. So I want to get into that, take a little take a little look at what's going to be happening in the championships game, championship games in the AFC and the NFC. Go ahead and discuss a little Deshaun Watson. He still wants to be out and why. Houston's only prayer to try to keep Deshaun Watson is going to be to be firing uh, someone at the top. If it can't be the owner, it has to be Jack Easterly. You need to go bye-bye. So I'll discuss the reasons why he needs to go to keep uh, to have any type of hope for the fans of the Houston Texans to have Deshaun Watson come back and be your quarterback for the 2021 season. So I'll get into that. Kyrie Irving returns. I saw this game last night or tonight between him and um, Brooklyn and Cleveland. A lot of points being scored. No defenses being played. Uh, uh, how are we going to do this? Embiid was dominant tonight against the Celtics. What are we going to do about this? If you're Brooklyn, if you're a Brooklyn fan, what are we going to do about this? So I'll go ahead and discuss that also. And then as I mentioned before, end the podcast with my thoughts and opinions about a new administration and if they're really going to be able to uh, have any type of impact, positive impact, in trying to bring this country together. I I don't even really know if you could even say this country was ever together, but I definitely don't want to go back to the status quo. So in that case, really, what type of question is that to bring the country back together? I don't want it to go back to the way it was. I only wanted to improve Does Biden and Harris and the Democrats and the Republicans and the independents and the governors of the 50 states and the mayors and more importantly, the the population, the human population here in this country, are we going to be able to do such a heavy, heavy task burden when also there's such things as the COVID and, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, people, uh, uh, 
financial situations and those type of things. So all of the stuff that we'll be talking about today on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast, which you're truly Wendell Wallace. So, all right, man, let's get into this and let's discuss what's happening. In the NFL, conference championship games are set. Sunday's games in the NFC, we've got Tampa at Green Bay, 305 Eastern Standard Time. Start uh, for that game is going to be on Fox. The AFC championship game between Buffalo and Kansas City. That's going to be a 6.40 Eastern Standard Time. That's going to be on CBS. So looking forward to Jim Nance and Tony Romo calling that game as well on Fox. Listening to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. The AFC Divisional Games this past weekend. Buffalo over Baltimore 17-3. Here's something for the old heads. I don't even know if the folks I'm going to be talking to are A, alive or even going to remember Remember when this went down, but watching this game, because I saw a really good documentary you know, long ago, multiple times, about the history of the AFL, and they talked about the champions, they talked about how the league was formed, and all those type of things, but man, watching that game between Buffalo and the Ravens kind of reminded me of some of the 1960s mid-AFL championship games, of course, without the Bills having Cookie Gil- Gilchrist as a running back. Yeah, yes, I, I know that Allen threw the ball a ton, and they didn't run as much. And when we're speaking about those 1960s mid-AFL championship teams in Buffalo that they won with a running game, Jack Kemp, a quarterback, and a strong defense. But to kind of compare that and to put it in to context about what happened and compare it to uh, Sunday's game or Saturday's game against Baltimore, Buffalo won a tough defensive-minded game in less than favorable weather conditions. It wasn't snowing. It wasn't a blizzard. But that wind was, uh, was a, it played a role. It played a huge role. And Buffalo took advantage of Baltimore's mistakes and missed opportunities for the win. So we're all going to talk about the key play of the game, which was Taron Johnson returning an interception 101 yards for a touchdown that propelled Buffalo to his first AFC Championship game appearance in 27 years. Shout out, special dedications going to Jim Kelly and Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas and Daryl Talley and Steve Tasker and Bruce Smith and Thurman Thomas and those boys. But the offensive uh, offense was average at best against Baltimore's defense. The defense from the Ravens played very well. And you could throw in the fact that, hey, it's kind of hard for Buffalo's offense to be clicking and doing the things that they were doing in terms of putting up the offensive numbers and the yardage and the, and the points when you're speaking about now going into the playoffs and you're not playing the New Englands. You're not playing some of the weaker sisters of the NFL. But it was very encouraging if you're a Buffalo Bills fan to see that you can win a game like that. Look, Josh Allen was all right, decent, good. Not MVP level. He didn't shake, rattle the entire landscape or the world, but 23 of 37, 206 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions. Okay, all right. Stephon Diggs caught eight passes for 106 yards and scored the only touchdown, offensive touchdown for Buffalo. Okay, all right. John Brown caught eight passes for 62 yards. Okay, all right. Very workmanlike performance by Buffalo on offense. They didn't run the ball. Normally when we use the term uh, workmanlike, or when we use that phrase, normally we're speaking about Buffalo or any team for uh, for real, using that running game, churning the clock, you know, that is establishing the line of scrimmage, dominating the line of scrimmage by establishing that running game. You equate 
running game with dominating line of scrimmage from the offensive line. Well, against Baltimore, the Bills threw the ball 37 times and ran it only 16 times. I think there was a point in time where they threw it like 15, 16 straight times. So the average pass yardage per throw was less than five yards from Josh Allen, 4.8 yards per pass. When, that, uh, when have you seen that so far this season? And they only averaged two yards per run. So if you really look at the statistics and you didn't even see these, you didn't see the game and you just went by statistics. Yes. And I know statistics don't lie, but guess what? Liars use statistics. You would have thought that Baltimore would have won this game going away. If I would have told you that Baltimore would have outrushed the uh, bills, 150 yards to uh, 32 yards. If the Ravens would have thrown for more yards than the bills, if Baltimore would have outpossessed the bills, on the offensive side of the football, 35 to 24 in terms of minutes possessed. If I would have told you that Baltimore would have had more first downs to the Bills, and if I would have told you that the Ravens would have converted more third downs than the Bills, then you would have said, all right, well, how much did the uh, Ravens win by? Well, Buffalo became the first team in NFL history to win a playoff game by 14 points despite being outgained on the ground by over 120 yards. It was all about turnovers. It was all about the opportune times. It was all about missed opportunities from the Ravens, which gave the Bills the opportunity to uh, win this football game. Now, the Bills are now what going on winning eight straight games to match their best streak since 1990. They've held Baltimore to the lowest point, point total since 2009. And again, the Bills' defense bringing it all the way back to what I was mentioning before when I was taking a look at the score and I was taking a look at this game and I was taking a look at the defense being played and remembering the documentaries I saw about the AFL and talking about the Buffalo Bills of that era, I said, kind of reminded me a little bit of that team, kind of reminded me of the old school Bills. So the defense for Buffalo, key to the game. Now, according to NFL's next-gen stats, the Bills' defense had generated 36.6% of Baltimore's dropbacks as far as pressuring the quarterback is concerned. And Jerry Hughes, the defensive end, led the way with a team-high seven pressures. In fact, he was the guy, if you want to say, what was the key play of the game? We always go back to that 101-yard interception return by Johnson. Well, the play before that on, I believe it was second down, that the, um, the Ravens had someone open on the crossing route headed toward the end zone. And because Hughes put all of that pressure on Lamar Jackson, he couldn't throw the accurate pass needed for the pass to be completed. It was it was short hop. So right there, the pressure that was mounted on Lamar Jackson by Hughes on that play was, you could say, the second biggest key to the game. Because if they go ahead and they score that touchdown, that's a 14-point swing right there. So... The defense for Buffalo, they outscored the Ravens' offense 7-3, if you take a look at that. And throughout the game, look, Buffalo was putting Baltimore in long second and third down opportunities. The Two of the things that don't mix well with Baltimore, if you're talking about their chances of winning football games, they can't get down early, and you can't put, down, you can't put them consistently in second and third down opportunities where they're going to have to pass the game. Baltimore's not going to win that. I mentioned before, Lamar Jackson is at his best when he's rushing for, say, for instance, 12 to 15 times. And then the passing attack is somewhere between 18 to 21 times. If you're going to have Lamar Jackson trying to complete 
second and sixteens and second and twelves and third and tens and third and elevens. That's really not going to work. Now, of course, common sense will tell you, well, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Uh, what what quarterback in the history of the game is better when he's facing third and third and long or second and long rather than second and third down, which is manageable? Yes, I understand that the opportunity for a drive to be uh, you know, uh, third, second, or third down conversion, which is long to be completed. I understand that the chances go down as long when the yardage to get that first down is increased. I understand that. But some quarterbacks out there, second and 11, third and 12, second and eight, third and 10, they're more apt to make those conversions than someone like a Lamar Jackson, who's more likely to make a third down or second down, or convert those long down opportunities to first down, more likely to do it with his legs than he was with his arm. So, again, Baltimore consistently put Lamar on those opportunities, and he didn't get it done. A lot of it was the scheme. A lot of it is just personnel. They don't have the weapons to go ahead on a consistent basis to convert those type of uh, conversions in Lamar. It's really not that state. It's not that at that stage of his career where he can do that on a consistent basis. Wendell's World in Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Another reason why Baltimore didn't win or the Bills did win for Baltimore, man, it was missed opportunities. When you go 0 3 in the red zone, including a pick six to put the game out of reach, well, guess what? Damn shit, fuck. You could maybe start the uh, conversation if you wanted to, the argument. The discussion, did Baltimore lose this game or did Buffalo win this game? Now, for me, I've always found those type of, um, I've always found those type of uh, conversations and thoughts and opinions silly because for Baltimore to not be able to convert on those opportunities in the red zone, well, you have to be able to uh, credit the Bills defense because they had a hand in that. I mean, Lamar Jackson didn't just, you know, hand the ball off to Taron Johnson and say, all right, fellas, go ahead. Stop, 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 stop. All right, Taron, the end zone's that way. Go for it. No, it was a great call by Leslie Fla- uh, Frazier. It was a uh, good defense by the Buffalo Bill- Bills, which caused Lamar Jackson to misread the passing play, throw it in the end zone, intercept it, took it all the way back for a touchdown. Now, you could talk about, well, what defense is there for Justin Turner, the best kicker in the league, to be missing two field goals? Well, you know, still, we're, we're speaking about despite those missed field goals by, by Turner, the Ravens were still in the game. And the Ravens still had opportunities to get themselves back into a game, but missed opportunities, again, caused by the pressure created by the Bills, caused by the weather conditions, caused by all of those things. Uh, didn't have that... Uh, put the uh, Bills in the AFC Championship game and sent the Ravens, who are a very good football team, who finished the season very strong, they're going to be going home. So it's interesting to see the way the Bills can play. Because most of the time we're speaking about um, Josh Allen, most of the time we're speaking about that offense, but you got to remember, Sean McDermott comes from a defensive background. Leslie Frazier is one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL and should be able to get an opportunity to interview for a head coaching position. I'll talk about that on another podcast. But the defense, while they don't have a bunch of playmakers, I know they have a few, but they don't have a bunch. They're put in very advantageous positions by their coaches. 
to go ahead and make plays. And that's exactly what they did. So if you're going to be speaking about the chances, and I'll get into the game between Kansas City and Buffalo a little bit later on in the podcast, but we're speaking about that game, and all we're speaking about is Mahomes versus Allen and which offense is going to be more potent. And we're speaking about maybe a game that's going to be in the 30s or a game that's going to come close, but the score is going to be very high. Well, let's kind of uh, pump our brakes on that because at least against a team like Baltimore, who it's a stark contrast from the offensive firepower or the offensive diversity or the offensive philosophy of the Kansas City defending champions. I mean, this is a team in Baltimore, which you're going to have to really key on the running game, while, of course, with Kansas City, depending upon if he can get on the field, which I think he can, despite uh, having that concussion, sustaining that concussion this past Sunday, that the you know, Buffalo is going to be facing the Buffalo is going to be facing Patrick Mahomes in that squad. So I'm just going to go on the assumption that Mahomes is going to be playing on Sunday. It's going to be a whole new different type of ball game for the Buffalo defense. But, hey man, pressure breaks pipes. So if the so if the Bills can continue to put the pressure on Mahomes, just like they did against Jackson, man, I'll tell you something. It's going to be one hell of a game. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Hello. What's happening? What's going on? So, just to get back to this game between Baltimore and Buffalo, man, it was like, you know, you're watching this game, first offensive drive of the game for the Ravens, moving the ball down the field from their own 25 to the Bills' 25-yard line. And then on first and 10, what happens? Jackson sacked for 11 yards to make a second and 21 from the Buffalo 36. And then Justin Tucker, as I mentioned before, missed a 41-yard field goal. Damn, shit, damn. Ravens went 52 yards on 12 plays. Took over seven minutes off the clock, moved it down, but then again, Tucker missed another field goal. So we're speaking about ominous signs starting early, because if you're speaking about Justin Tucker, you're speaking about one of the most clutch and one of the most accurate kickers in the NFL today, missing from 41 yards and then missing from 46 yards before hitting a 34-yard attempt. The first time he missed twice from inside the 50 in the same game in a long time. Well, the first time in his career. So... Moving forward with Buff- with uh, Baltimore, man, let's, let's, let's concentrate on them for just a little bit because we're going to speak about, as I mentioned before, we're going to speak about this championship game, this AFC championship game a little bit later on. But I've been a Lamar Jackson fan. I've been a Lamar Jackson defender. And I understand that now since he's now 1-3 in the playoffs, I know that people are going to start talking about, well, is he good enough, a guy who's not your classic passer from the pocket? Is this the type of guy that's going to be able to lead a team to the playoffs? You, you saw very clearly that when Baltimore is faced with the game where Lamar's going to have to throw the ball, throw the ball, that Baltimore obviously is not as good. So, so moving forward, as I mentioned before, when his physical skills start to decrease and all of a sudden that guy who used to run a 4240 is now a guy who's going to be running a 4540 well that's not going to be he's not going to be as potent as a quarterback so what do we do moving forward now against the bills jackson completed 14 of 24 passes 162 yards 42 yards rushing on nine carries he was forced three times he was uh, sacked three times and he left the game at the beginning of the fourth quarter two plays in after uh Another bad snap, put it over his head. 
He was tackled, head hit the uh, head hit the uh, the carpet, and that was it. That was that was all she wrote. So, look, I'm taking a look at Baltimore. Who did they got on offense as far as the uh, receiving core is concerned? Mark Andrews, the tight end, Willie Sneed, the fourth, Marquise Brown. Against Buffalo, those guys combined to catch 13 passes on 23 targets for only 140 yards. But then again, which one of those guys are you seeing as a number one type of receiver? The second leading receiver in the game for Baltimore was J.K. Dobbins with 51. And he had one reception for 31 yards. So mainly he was getting yardage off of dump, uh, dump down passes or broken plays. Not going to be able to win championships like that. You're not going to be able to put yourselves in a position to win Super Bowls and conference championships if that's going to be the just of your receiving core. Got to give Lamar some help as he continues to develop as a as a quarterback who can throw from the pocket. I've always said, let the man un- go unleash, man. Let Lamar cook. Let Lamar do his thing. It might not be appropriate. It might not be old school worthy for the bar to play the position of quarterback like he plays it now. But shit, man, while his physical skills are still at an unbelievable level, the best athlete playing the game today, let him use it. Let him use it. I don't know why, because we define a position as one way or the other that we can accentuate and take advantage of the man's greatest skills. I mean, damn, let him, let him do his thing. So that's all, that's all I've been saying with Lamar for so long. So in that game, we saw against the Bills, the Ravens. Can we please get ourselves a center? After Baltimore, can you please get yourself a center? Would be nice. Look, since 2018, Baltimore's starting center has been some guy named Matt Sakura. In week nine of the season, he had a couple of bad snaps against the Colts. Then in week 10, Against the Patriots, he had a couple of more bad snaps. So he was officially credited with four fumbles this season, which was tied by the most center, by, by the uh, most uh, bad snaps by any center since 1970. So they said, you know what, man? Let's go ahead and let's make the switch. So the game against Buffalo, they went with some guy named Patrick Mercati instead. And in the game against Buffalo, you saw it. Yeah, you could talk about the win and you could talk about other things, but the guy had three bad snaps, which included taking his starting quarterback out for the rest of the game. So, moving forward, you know, let's let's get this done if you're the Ravens. And I still say, hey, look, let's start signing Lamar. Let's, let's start about that extension with Lamar Jackson. I know he's not due to become an unrestricted free agent until 2023, but damn, the Ravens should exercise the fifth-year option uh, for him by May, by May 3rd. So, you know, that's that's the deal with uh, Lamar. He signed a four-year, $9.5 million deal. Includes a $5 million signing bonus. So you got maybe another year to see what you can do to kind of build around him. I don't know. Maybe there's a guy in Cleveland by the name of Odell Beckham Jr. Baltimore might kick the tires and see what they can do with that. Um, I know the receiving class in the draft is pretty good, but are we going to go ahead and focus on that? Or are we going to focus on rebuilding the offensive line if you're Baltimore. But for Lamar, I mean, let me see here. Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year extension worth up to $503 million. Deshaun Watson signed a four-year, $156 million extension in September. 
So I'm thinking if a new deal is going to be for Jackson, and we're speaking about four years, five years, somewhere around there, what are we looking at? An average salary of 43.5 mil per year? Are you going to give that to that guy? He's been the most productive and successful QB in the, in the uh, 2018 draft class. If you think about it, and he was the guy that was selected the last. He was selected number 32 of all the guys that were drafted in that class. Many people saying that the 2018 class kind of resembled the draft class, quarterback class of 1999, or the most famous one in 1983. Mayfield was drafted number one. Sam Darnold was drafted number three by the Jets. Josh Allen, of course, was drafted number seven by the Bills. How about this? Who was the guy in this draft class in four or five years? Who's going to be that guy when Mayfield is doing great? I still think there's some hope for Darnold. Josh Allen is going to be a franchise quarterback and one of the guys that are going to be on the poster in terms of promoting the game to everybody else. Lamar Jackson is still going to be doing his thing. He's going to be the guy that's going to be selling a whole bunch of merchandise and he's going to be the guy that's also going to be one of the faces of the uh, league moving forward with the old quarterback uh, uh, folks uh, go away. Phillip Rivers already announcing his retirement, but when Brady and Breeze and Breeze, I'm quite sure pretty soon will be announcing his retirement. So when Brady and Breeze and Rodgers and Wilson gets a little bit older, when those quarterbacks fade away, we're going to be taking a look at who are the new breeds, who are going to be the new guys that are going to be carrying the league. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, the quarterbacks, from that 2018 draft class are going to be at the head of the line in terms of people who are going to be following the game kind of uh, kind of milk toast wise is going to know who they are. So Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen was taken number 10. And Josh Rosen right now is on his he's on the, the practice squad with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He lasted in Miami for about, no, he lasted in Arizona for one year. And then Cliff Kingsbury was brought in and was like, yeah, I'm going to bring in my system and that my system requires that we get Kyler Allen, uh, Kyler, uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray. So uh, see you later, Josh. Take it easy. So he bounced around. I think he was with Miami and now I think he's on the practice squad with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think out of those quarterbacks that were taken in that draft class. Lamar has been the most productive. Yeah, I know Josh Allen is coming and he's coming up strong. And if you want to make the argument that he's overtaken Jackson, I'll go ahead and I'll buy that. But still, when you speak at the accomplishments that Lamar has already had, taking his team to the playoffs each time that he's been in the league and winning the MVP as of right now, it might change, might change after the 2021 season. But as of right now, I'm going for the guy with the most success early on had been Lamar Jackson. Now, yes, it helped that he went with Baltimore and he didn't go to the Jets with Adam Gaze or he didn't go to the, the uh, Cleveland Browns with Freddie Kitchens and Hugh Jackson. So he went to a he went to a much better situation which allowed him to grow and to uh, blossom into the player that he is. So some of those accomplishments that he made, while a lot of it was his responsibility and his doing, a lot also had to go to the a lot of the credit for the accomplishments that uh, Lamar Jackson uh, came upon also goes to the organization. So I still think at the end of the day, though, Lamar should get paid and should get paid greatly. And Baltimore is going to be a team which is going to be heard from them in Cleveland. I think they're going to be battling for the AFC 
Division North championships for years to years to come. So if you're Baltimore, shore up that offensive line, the defense, tinkering a little bit, but uh, they're good enough to uh, get you to where you need to go. Don't do anything crazy with Lamar. Don't say anything negative about Lamar, about what we need to do moving forward. Is he your guy? Yes, he is your guy. Lamar is going to be fine. He'll continue to work hard. He'll continue to get better. And as I mentioned before, with the physical gifts that he has, the natural ability that he has, and you equate that with the work ethic and the intelligence that he has, I think by the 2023-24 season, I still think that we're going to be looking at Steve Young 2.0 or 3.0 or Randall Cunningham 5.0, that type of quarterback. Michael Vick, if he ever decided, if he ever wanted to uh, tap into his ability to become, to, to maximize the potential of him being a quarterback instead of running around and thinking that his shit didn't stink and he would, you know, hang with his homeboys and uh, kill kill dogs and all that type of nonsense and, and not be coachable and not be dedicated to the game caused Michael Vick generational greatness and a possibility to go into the Hall of Fame. I think that Lamar is going to incorporate all of those skills from all of those type of quarterbacks, the athletic quarterbacks, when you're speaking about Young, when you're speaking about Cunningham, when you're speaking about Michael Vick, when you're speaking about the younger version of Donovan McNabb. I think he's going to encapsulate all of those things into the player that he's going to become, which is one of the best quarterbacks in the game today. Not maybe next year, but as he continues to grow, the man's only 24 years old. So I think by the time he's 27, 28, Lamar is going to be ripping this league up. So don't panic. Don't do anything stupid. Don't be, you know, casting any doubts on the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. This guy is still going to be your quarterback. He's going to be a great quarterback for you for years to come. So Baltimore is going to be fine. The Buffalo Bills winning a game where the offense is not streaking, the offense is not the star, the offense is not giving you the highlights. Great, great momentum builder. Great confidence builder for the Bills as they move in for the uh, chance to go to the Super Bowl next uh, this upcoming Sunday against the Kansas City Champions. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down today in the world of sports. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Talked about the Baltimore Ravens. Talked about the Buffalo Bills. Talked about the Baltimore Ravens versus the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Divisional Round Playoffs. Baltimore falling to the Bills 17-3. Now we move to the other AFC Division Round game between the Kansas City football team and the Cleveland Browns. Kansas City surviving against the uh, Browns 22-17 before he left the game in the third quarter because of a concussion. Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes played very well, finished 21-30, 255 yards, a touchdown, ran for another score. Pretty good for a guy who hadn't played in 21 days since the uh, since the team clinched the AFC's top seed in the week 16. So 
I thought when you come out, you complete 11 of your first 12 passes and then led Kansas City to back-to-back touchdowns to start the game. I was thinking to myself, okay, I guess uh, Claypool of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers was correct. This is going to be something where it's going to be easy-peasy, nice and cheesy for the uh, Kansas City football team. He ran for the first and let Travis Kelsey turn a dump off into a 20-yard catch for another score. Kansas City led 19-3 at the half, but you know what? Starting near the end, a little bit of the first half, I was like, you know what? I don't know about this. This is not going to be something as easy or as simple as I thought it was going to be, which was Kansas City just rolling to a victory here. And I think for the most part, for most of the half, the offense was just absolutely rolling. In fact, the only blemish was a missed extra point, and then multiple penalties to stop momentum on another drive where they were rolling. I think they were called for holding a couple of times and then an ineligible player downfield. So it led from them scoring the touchdown and keeping that momentum going to kicking a field goal. So it was like, you know what? I know Cleveland is not the type of team that's going to be like an offensive juggernaut, but I just thought that there were opportunities to really, really not only bury the Browns and just in terms of the score, but also just in terms of the confidence level of them coming back, I thought Kansas City missed a couple of those detonations in terms of those big runs to kind of take the heart and the will and the confidence from the Cleveland Browns. So I think when you start off with the missed extra point, but that's okay, no problem, big deal. Again, the Holmes doing his thing, leading the team down the field, blah, blah, blah. Cowboys, the, the, the Kelsey scored the touchdown. Mahomes takes it in from the what, one or two yard line. There's that and the other. Fantastic. 13 and 16. Okay, you kick a field goal. No big deal. Cleveland responds with a field goal after Kansas City scored that touchdown to make it 6 to 3. Touchdown makes it 13 to 3. Field goal makes it 16 to 3. Eh, okay, you know, not every team's going to score a touchdown every time they get the ball, but it was like they were moving. They were doing their thing. Okay, you score this touchdown. You make it 22 to 3 or 20. 5-3 if you want to go for the two-point conversion or whatever, kick a field goal or whatever. It was like, damn, you missed an opportunity. Again, by a couple of holding penalties on the same drive, momentum stoppers, momentum killers, and even a team as potent on offense as Kansas City, if you're just going to be setting up roadblocks for yourself in terms of getting to where you want to go as far as that optimal level where offensively you're just, boom, you're just hitting it. I was like, eh. Man, they're leaving the door open. They are leaving the door open. And it's just going to take one score, 19-3 or 16-3. One score is going to take to uh, bring it back. And they almost got there. Cleveland started moving. Cleveland started grooving. And then I'll talk a little bit later about the uh, the, the fumble by Cleveland for the touchback. Touch that easily could have made it 16-10. Then all of a sudden, it would be like, damn, what's going on? What's making it happen? This, that, and the other. But in the third quarter, I think the momentum swung. And I think from when this point happened, I'll say that Cleveland was the better team. And I thought to myself, 22-17, man, if that game, if that playoff game, Cleveland and Kansas City, if that game went 65 minutes instead of 60 minutes, Cleveland wins that football game. And I'm quite sure that shit. Cleveland wins that football game, not just 24 or 26 to 20, 25 to 22. I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about, I bet you Cleveland puts up a couple of more scores against the uh, football team from Kansas City if that game goes another five minutes. 
And everything just started, I think, to unravel just a little bit for Kansas City early on in the third quarter, 14-45, up to go in the third. They were up 19-3. The Honey Bear, Tyron Matthew, intercepted Mayfield at Kansas City at Cleveland's 18-yard line. So it's like, okay, boom. Mahomes is coming back on the field. That offense is coming back on the field. They just kicked the field goal before the half. They go ahead. They score a touchdown. Now they go up 26-3. Game's over. Bing, bang, boom. That's it. The confidence for Cleveland is gone. The ability to try to get back into the game for Cleveland is gone. It's right there. It's right there for Kansas City to uh, put this game away. Not only did they not score a touchdown, then the guy, the kicker for Kansas City, misses a field goal from 33 yards. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoo! Your Cleveland is like, whoo, we dodged the bullet. We've got new life. And it just seemed from that moment on, Cleveland just started rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. And Kansas City just had to hang on for dear life, especially after Mahomes went down. All of a sudden, Nick Chubb started going. All of a sudden, he started running well. Kansas City started missing tackles. All of a sudden, Baker Mayfield started converting third and fourth downs. All of a sudden, you just saw it. As soon as that field goal was missed, and then on the ensuing drive, Cleveland went down and scored to make it 19-10 to 10 midway through the third quarter. You're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, we got ourselves a game here. We've got ourselves a game. And again, this was before Mahomes went out. I was thinking, we got ourselves a game. Kansas City, you better be careful. Kansas City kicked the field goal to make it 22-10. Then guess what? Cleveland went 80 yards down the field. Again, converting multiple third and fourth downs to make it 22-17. Uh-oh, we've got ourselves a game here. We got ourselves a game. Again, Kansas City, this is one after Mahomes got hurt. Chad Henney comes in. Kansas City moved the ball near the end zone or near the red zone to set up at least a field goal, which would kind of stem the momentum, which would kind of take a little bit of the momentum away from Cleveland. As they were moving, as they were grooving, guess what? An illegal crackback block was called. So instead of first and 10 from the 23-yard um, line of Cleveland, then all of a sudden it's first and 25 from the Cleveland 38-yard line. So again, they could have ran the ball three times running into the line of scrimmage. and could have got in, in, in a good position to kick a field goal. But then that 15-yard uh, penalty moved them all the way back to the 38, and then you're going to be asking Chad Henney, to make a play. Well, he did make a play. He made a terrible play. Threw a terrible interception in the end zone with eight minutes left to go. And you thought to yourself, that's it. You thought to yourself that Cleveland was going to go down and score and win the game either 23-22 or 25-22 if they convert the, the uh, two-point conversion after they score. That's what I thought. I was like, holy shit. And I was already thinking about my podcast being how tenuous of a hold is a championship based on one player. Mahomes went down, and you just saw the air leave the body of the Kansas City professional football team's uh, collective. You just were like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. All of a sudden, it was just like, damn. Cleveland, and again, after Henny threw that interception, damn, man. Damn, damn, damn. We're going to lose this game. We're going to fucking lose this game. And everything that we talked about, everything that we thought that was just a sure deal, in terms of getting back to the Super Bowl and defending champions and who's going to win the Super Bowl, the, 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 the Packers or the Buccaneers or the Steelers or the field, if you're speaking about who's going to beat Kansas City and this budding dynasty and 
Mahomes on his march to being the greatest quarterback of all time. All of these narratives that we were speaking about during the regular season, all of these narratives that we were speaking about what the playoffs started, what type of team and it's Kansas City, we're going to be comparing them to the dynasties, all of this bullshit that we were talking about before the playoffs actually got underway. All of that was about to become bullshit, was about to become unraveled. All of those dreams are going to be going up in the smoke based on one hit on our quarterback. And he's done. And he's gone. Just like that. In the NFL, it's just like that. Same thing in Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers went down. All of these glorious things that Kansas City, uh, the, the Green Bay fans are thinking about over just like that. Now, luckily... The defense held, made a couple of plays, which set up the call of the playoff, which means if it's the call of the playoff, which means it's the call of the year so far in the NFL. After the Browns kicked the ball away, they couldn't convert on, I believe it was, what, fourth and 13 or something nonsense like that. So they kick it away. And then the fourth down and one call from midfield with a minute 17 left to go in the game. Henny, who's the backup quarterback, Rolling up in shotgun formation. Damn, completing the short pass of Tyreek Hill. Whew. Whew. <sighs> Come on, man. What were you thinking about when Henny got back there in uh, shotgun formation? When it was fourth and half a yard or whatever, you're like, okay, quarterback sneak or something like that. Even the most diehard Andy Reid, you know, this guy you know, seat of his pants, wacky, yacky, lacky type of plays that he calls this, that, and the other. We've seen some uh, pretty um, adventurous uh, play calling down in the uh, down in the uh, red zone and down at the goal line. I remember a couple of, like, Hoopy Harry 1926 type of plays that he called against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers with the, uh, with, with the uh, football team from Kansas City down near the goal line. But... You thought in a situation like this, this ain't game six of the regular season. This isn't any of that stuff, right? This is quite potentially the 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 play that's going to either determine whether we win or whether we lose. Because if they don't make that play, you think Cleveland's going to come down and score? I do. Do you think so? I do. So the season basically rode on that play right there, which... Me, you, your friends, everybody that watches football for the most part is like, okay, if we're in that position, what are we going to do? We're either going to hand that ball off or we're going to do a quarterback sneak. I know one thing we're going to do. I know one thing we're not going to do with a backup quarterback in there. I know one thing we're not going to do. We ain't going to pass the ball. Eight times to be fancy, eight times to be Joe Montana, eight times to be Bart Starr or Johnny U on this play. No, 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 no. Too much riding on it. We're going to hand the ball off to Andy. Go ahead. Go for it on fourth down. Let's, what is he doing? He's in, sh he's in shotgun. Are they just going to see if they can get him offside? What is he? Oh my goodness, he's going to pass. What is he? Oh, oh, who? Oh, oh, Tyree. Oh, what's he going to pass? Oh, Tyree, go down, go down. Stay in bounds, stay in bounds. Oh, oh, phew. <laughs> that, was, that was my reaction. I didn't care who won the game, but I was thinking to myself, folks all across Kansas City, Missouri, that's what you had to be doing. He's a shotgun? What the hell is he doing? He's going to try to draw him offside. And, oh, my goodness. He's going to pass the ball. Oh, he made the pass. Go stay in bounds, Tyree. Stay in bounds. Stay in bounds. 
Oh, we won. Oh, we won. So, hell of a game. Hell of a play call. Hell of a play call. And that secured their third straight, Kansas City, third straight AFC Championship game. Woohoo! Now, Mahomes practiced today. Well, Wednesday, he practiced uh, today. Very light. Didn't do too much. Um, look, I, damn, I hate to sound like a massive kid, or I hate to sound like a, I don't give a damn about a human being when it comes to football, but Kansas City football fans, how much are you concerned about Patrick Mahomes' health right now? How much are you concerned about CTE right now? How much are you concerned about his family when he's going to be 40 and 50 years old? How much do you care right now about his long-term health? How much do you care about any of that stuff in terms of, hey man, if the guy knows who he is, sort of, kind of, and it takes him only two times to know where he's at and what he's doing, good enough. <laughs> he He's ready for Sunday. That's good enough. Go out there, Patrick. No, the, the, the feels that way. Feels that way. That way. Yeah. There you go. All right. Now, remember, we're the team in the red. All right. Yeah. yeah go get them. Go get them, Tiger. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like you want to be careful and all that stuff is great. Where it's like, you know, we're concerned about the, the person and we want to make sure that, you know, we don't know the dr- brain trauma and CTE and Seau and Dewerson and Mike Webster and my goodness gracious, we want to have these guys be able to play with their kids when they're 40 and 50 and know where they're going and know who they are and know what they're all about when they're 50 and 60 and 70. We want to have these guys live a long, healthy and prosperous life after their careers over and all that kind of stuff. All of that stuff. Is bullshit and thrown out the window when we're dealing with Patrick Mahomes and whether he's going to be able to play on Sunday. Protocol, protocol. Now, I understand that they need to go to an independent doctor for Mahomes to be taken a look at and all this kind of stuff. If I'm the organization, I hate to say this, it sounds terrible, it sounds inhumane, it sounds everything that I've been railing on the NFL owners about, but damn it, Patrick Mahomes is going to fucking play. Because Patrick Mahomes at 70% brain power is still a much better option than Chad Henney. No disrespect to Chad Henney, but for this game to get to the Super Bowl, we're not talking about a regular season game. We're talking about one and the season's done. We're talking about a dynasty in the making. We're talking about legacies. We're talking about championships. We're talking about bonus money. We're talking about all of those things. And who gives us a better chance to accomplish those goals? A slightly concussed Patrick Mahomes or a fully functional Chad Henney? I think you know the answer. So I'm, uh, I'm the Kansas City organization. I'm doing my, I don't know if the NFL, you know, brings in an independent guy to take a look at my homes, but I'm like, uh, oh man, so you're saying that he could not play on Sunday? Hmm. Doctor, what is it going to take for you to maybe say that um, he's all right? How much is it going to be? No, 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 we're not, we're not bribing you. We're just saying, are you sure? I mean, maybe we can go ahead and call. I mean, I'm the owner of the owner of the football team. You know, I got some connections. And me and my boy Roger go back. I mean, after all, I am I am paying his fucking salary. So maybe we can kind of see how possibly maybe Mahomes can be cleared to play on Sunday, huh? I mean, we'll we'll protect him good. The pass rush for Baltimore, excuse me, for uh, Buffalo, it ain't that bad. We'll run we'll run a lot, so we'll even protect him. And we'll even give him some smelling salts and some other things. Maybe give him some turmeric to keep his brain power going. You know, in the morning, let him eat some walnuts and blueberries to keep his brain going strong. So we'll, 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 we'll be fine with that, Doc. Just give him 
just give him the fucking clearance and get the fuck out of our building if you would, please. So, I wonder if it's going to be an opportunity for that. The chances of Kansas City making it to the Super Bowl with Chad Henney at the quarterback going against Buffalo, what are the chances? Slim and none. I know it. You know it. Your friends in Kansas City know it. So, yeah, let's see what we can do. And again, I'm not rooting for one team or the other. I'm just saying from the Kansas City football team's fan perspective, let's um, let's make sure that Patrick Mahomes is, is ready for Sunday. And even if I'm, if I'm a, you know, a TV advertiser or something like that, you know, just to see what we can do to maximize the viewing potential, let's make sure that Patrick Mahomes is playing on Sunday. Concussion or no concussion. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm not so, you know, I'm not, I guess you could say I'm not much uh, better than the owners, right? Yeah. How much money is it going to cost me if Patrick Mahomes doesn't play? Uh, yeah, he's playing. My, that would be my attitude if I'm owning the Kansas City football team. First of all, I'm changing his nickname. And second of all, I'm making goddamn sure in a situation like that that Patrick Mahomes is going to be on that field. Concussion or no concussion. If Ty Detner can play a whole game and not remember what he did or who he was and still had Philadelphia win a football game, then guess what? The chance for the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes is playing. So for Cleveland, and I know I know you being a Cleveland Brown fan, I know you're still smarting a little bit, but what do you take this as a, hey, you know what, this was a good season and we're moving into, are you, are you in a positive mood or are you in a negative mood right now? Are you still up there whining and complaining about that missed opportunity for the Browns when they were behind? 16-3 with a minute 36 left to go in the second quarter. Baker Mayfield doing the thing. Baker Mayfield played great, by the way. Yeah, he had that interception early in the third quarter that could have spelled doom for the Browns. And yeah, he didn't put up 35 or 42 on the, on the, on the board. He didn't throw for over 300 yards and four touchdowns and all those type of things. But I think Mayfield, again, gave you another reason for you being a Cleveland Browns fan, to be like, all right, we're in good hands. Not just with Allstate, but we're also in good hands at the quarterback position for Cleveland for years to come. And justifying the way Lamar and Josh Allen is playing, I don't know if you can really justify or feel really great that we picked Mayfield, that the Browns picked Mayfield first. But then again, as I mentioned before with Lamar Jackson, take a look at what Mayfield was coming into in terms of what organization is concerned. Take a look at the history of ineptitude, especially under the leadership, the stewardship, the ownership of, of Jimmy Breslin and that group, and who's over owning the Cleveland Browns now. You take a look at the obstacles that Baker Mayfield had to overcome, not just from an organizational standpoint, but also from a maturity standpoint on his part. I think the steps, I think the journey that Mayfield has taken to get to this point to where, Cleveland, you got to say that Mayfield can be your guy. Definitely, I think he could be. So the journey that he took to get to that point is positive, and I don't think it's done. I think he's got a lot more growing to do in a positive way, and I think that's only going to be a positive for the Cleveland Browns moving forward. Offensively, they're, they're good, man. Offensively, you've got a great offensive line. You've got two really good running backs. Jarvis Landry is a pretty good wide receiver. I wouldn't have him as my number one. And let's also remember... You know, you've got Odell Beckham Jr. Even if you don't want him to come back, you still got maybe a trade chip or you got something in terms of, you know, getting yourself, even if it's a fourth or fifth round pick in the draft, maybe go ahead and do something about rebuilding that defensive uh, 
defensive side of the football. You have yourself a awesome coach in Kevin Stefanski, young guy who looks like he can coach this team for the next 10 to 12 years or as long as Mayfield is going to be the quarterback. So you have that type of uh, potential in terms of quarterback head coach relationship. So you have that as a positive. So you have to be feeling good, right? Yeah, I know it stinks, but take it from a guy who, you know, who's a Washington Dwayne Haskins fan. I mean, come on, man. You know, we, we, I'm, 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 you're, I wish I could have the outlook. I wish I could have the forecast that the Cleveland Browns have as moving forward. But yeah, y'all going to be complaining and whining about that that call in the second quarter where Mayfield completed the pass with shot Higgins a few yards away from the goal line and Higgins stretched out to get the ball into the end zone, but Daniel Swordson of KC knocked the ball away. The ball went out of bounds, resulting in a touchback. Shit, fuck, Dan. You got to be goddamn fucking shit, damn kidding me. Then Cleveland doesn't stop Kansas City. They move the ball down the field, kick a field goal instead. So that's really a 10-point swing. So at the very least, at the very least, at the very worst for Cleveland Brown fans being an optimist, at the very worst, you get you kick a field goal out of the deal. You're only down sixteen to six. Shouting distance, seeing distance. Most most likely, you go ahead, Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubbs scored the touchdown on the next play from the two yard line. They kick a you kick the extra point. You're now sixteen to ten. Now all of a sudden, you're going into the locker room. You're you're not you're not you're not jogging. You're sprinting. Your confidence level is up. Your 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 fists are being pumped. You got a look of determination on your face, like fuck yeah, yeah baby, let's go, come on. Sixteen to ten, we in this game. Kansas City ain't shit. Kansas City ain't shit. We can do this. We got this. We got this shit. You know, you got that type of attitude. Instead, you're walking into the locker room, going, "You gotta be fucking kidding me, god damn it." I'm not saying as far as with Rashad Higgins. I'm not saying, god damn it, Rashad, don't. Fucking do that bullshit. Tuck the fucking ball in. God damn. But just like, damn, man. Damn, we could have done this. We could have been in this situation. We could have. We could have. We could have. We could have. Again, give it up to the coaching of Stefanski and his position coaches. Give it up to the character, the mental strength of that team and the uh, leaders on that team. Not to have Cleveland fall apart. Not only after they missed that opportunity to close the gap to 16-10, to 10, but then again to allow a field goal to go into the half down 19 to 10, but also to uh, fight back after Mayfield threw that interception, as I mentioned before, threw the interception to Matthew, which could have put the game out of reach. So again, that stop, that hold showed championship medals, showed some mental toughness and fiber that you can take in the next season beyond, 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 because you'll be at that point again, and you'll know, they'll know, confidence-wise, that they have that ability to uh, withstand that adversity. So, yeah. People talking about Sorsen committed an illegal helmet-to-helmet hit on the play. Might have, but you know what? Fuck that bullshit. One of the things that drive me fucking nuts about um, college football is that everything is like, well, it's under review, what's under review, what's under review. Come on, man. Just, just play the fucking game. Huh? Just, just, just play the game. And they're playing football. No harm, no foul. So, yeah... I guess if that was college, they would have been like, yeah, the play is under further review. But see if that was an illegal, the you know, illegal uh, helmet-to-helmet hit. And I'm quite sure it would have been 
reversed and all those type of things. But you know what? Nah, man. Nah, 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 nah. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Let's just keep it going. And again, I'm not, I don't have a rooting interest for, for either team. But that, that wasn't the reason why Cleveland lost the game. So I don't want to hear any of that. And I also want to hear Cleveland Brown talking about the rules need to be changed. The rules need to be changed. The rules need to be changed. You know what, man? Tough break. You should have stopped them and not allowed uh, Kansas City to get that field goal. And you should have maximized on other opportunities to win that football game. It played a role. That was part of the narrative of why Cleveland didn't win. The inability to, to score at that opportunity. But that wasn't the reason why you guys had lost. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking to my Cleveland Browns brethren and sisterin. <laughs> What's going on, sister? Um, speaking about Cleveland. Speaking about the opportunities. What hurts more? Because by the time you're in this position, what happens with Rashad is gone. Losing the ball. Losing the opportunity to score, fumble, ball going into the end zone, touchback. All of this at the present time was out the window. Y'all weren't even thinking about this. Third down and 14 for Kansas City. Late in the contest, under two minutes to go or somewhere around two minutes. You're down 22-17. You stop them on this play. You get the ball back. The momentum is all on your side. You're going to win this football game. I know that's what you're saying. We stop them here. We're going to win this football game. We're going to go down and score. At that point, for most of the second half, you guys were the better team. You guys were doing very well, moving the ball up and down the field against Kansas City. You had to believe that Mayfield was going to was going to get it done. So what happens on third and third and fourteen? You allow Chad Henney to get thirteen and a half yards. Or third and fourteen, you allow Chad Henney. They get 13 and a half yards. You got to be fucking kidding me on a scramble. On a scramble because there was nobody on the left side of the field. I'm sorry. If I was rooting for Cleveland, if I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, if I'm a lifelong brownie, well, I am a lifelong brownie, but you know what I'm talking about in terms of a football fan. I'm a skin colored brownie. But if I'm a lifelong Cleveland football fan, that hurts me more than a Rashad Higgins fumble. Because it's like, God damn, God damn, God damn, we had it. And if you guys do what you're supposed to do, and instead of fourth and a half a yard, it's fourth and eight, fourth and 14, fourth and six, fourth and five, I don't think Andy Reid goes for it. And you guys get the ball back. And I still think, even though you guys needed a touchdown to win, not a field goal, and even though Kansas City has stopped you before, I wasn't saying it was absolute. But I would have liked your chances. I would have put a few dollars down on a bet if um, Cleveland would have got that ball back with a minute, minute and a half, minute 20, somewhere around there. I would have put a little, I would have put a couple of bucks on Cleveland going down the field and scoring against the defending champions. So, <sighs> it sucks. It hurts a little bit. But, you know, hey, just, there's always next year. And you can learn from this. And you're speaking about these journeys, man. You're speaking about the lessons that are learned on the football field. Just like lessons you learned in life. Just takes time. That's all. Mayfield's young. Chubb is young. Kareem Hunt, young. He's still trying to 
build his life back together after uh, it was taken apart by his uh, stupidity in his in his conflict with a female a few years ago. So he's still trying to build that part of his uh, life back together. You got Stefanski, first-time head coach, first time uh, in this situation. Miles Garrett, the defense, needs to improve. Denzel Ward, you guys need to build around Ward and Garrett. Need to upgrade their linebackers. But other than that, you've got the foundational pieces. There is no reason, no reason why you guys should not win the AFC North next season. It's got to be between you and it's got to be between you and um, Baltimore. Cincinnati ain't doing nothing, and Pittsburgh is going to regress regardless if Ben Roethlisberger comes back or not. So this is your time. And with Mayfield and those guys, it's just not your time for one or two years. Look, injury, salary cap, regression, all of those things are possibilities. But what Cleveland is growing in terms of the culture, in terms of the expectations, in terms of the accountability, and in terms of the success that they had this season, I like you guys are going to start becoming now, I guess, the NFL version of the Chicago Cubs. Now, yeah, Chicago won a World Series and everything like that. But do you consider the Chicago Cubs the lovable losers? And, oh, they talk about they haven't done this and they haven't done that. They're just a franchise that wants to fill up Wrigley Field and the owner's cheap and no good. And they go through pitchers, they go through managers, and they're just a, they're just a, you know, just inept in all ways. You know, they're the they're the uh, picture of what ineptitude is all about. The Cubs aren't like that anymore, right? Well, no longer are the Browns. I don't want to hear the Cleveland Browns talking about, oh, the lowly blown Cleveland Browns that we've been waiting for so long. No, 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 no. No, no. The narrative has changed. And if you really want to start making your way for real to be winning championships and everything, not only does it come from the folks who actually play the game, who are actually responsible for putting the team together, not only does it come from the organization like that old Cleveland Browns feel sorry for us, we're the lovable losers, we're you know, we're all this kind of nonsense, we haven't done this and we haven't done that. Not only does that bullshit have to leave the building and not come back, but it also has to come from the fan base. Don't give me some bullshit about, oh, we still haven't won a championship, oh, we still haven't made the AFC championship, oh, oh, poor us, and I haven't done this, and we've been through RG3, and we've been through, we haven't had a quarterback since Brian Seip, Borny Kozar, and oh, I missed the days of Bill Belichick. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop it. Stop it. You guys are legit. You guys are now one of the few teams in the NFL going into next season if your mentals are right, to be one of the favorites, not just to win a division, not just to win a championship. Let's think about this. You're one of the six, seven teams at the very least. You guys have a real chance to win a Super Bowl, to win a championship. Starts with the player, no doubt about it. That fan base, yeah, we're just a lovable loser. No, 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 that bullshit is out the door. Become as arrogant as a fan base from Boston or New York next season. We're going to be kicking ass and we're going to be taking names. Mayfield is a shit. Our running game is a shit. Our offensive line is going to kick your ass and then kick your mother's ass and then kick your father's ass and then kick your grandma's ass and then kick everybody's ass who's related to you. Our coach is top notch. Our fan base is strong. And we are here to stay 2021, 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025. 
fuck all of y'all. Bye-bye, New England. Bye-bye, Pittsburgh. Say hello to the new kids on the block in terms of the bullies on the block, in terms of the bad boys on the block. Bad, bad Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. The baddest team in the whole damn town. Better than old King Kong and meaner than Bill Belichick after losing a playoff game at a press conference. That's what Cleveland Browns should be moving forward. And you know what, Cleveland Browns fans? I think you're going to be that team. I think you're going to be that team for many years to come. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today on this Wednesday night. Hold on for a second. Oh, I got a little yawn. Oh, Lord. Am I going to be feeling this tomorrow morning? <laughs> I'm going to be feeling this tomorrow morning. Just finished watching the Wednesday edition of AEW. Good end of the show match. Between the inner circle, MJF and Jericho and Sammy and Hagar and uh, those fellas. Good good job. AEW was all right tonight. Nothing great. Nothing horrible. Just every show can't be the best show that you've ever seen. So, you know, it was all right. My main man, Kenny Omega, was in action for uh, the program. But uh, anytime you get to see Kenny Omega go ahead and wrestle, that's must-watch television for those who are wrestling fans. For those who are inter- wrestling entertainment fans, sports entertainment fans, whatever Vince wants to call it, as his raw product continues to flounder. As I mentioned before, I, I just, I can't, for years and years and years, I was a huge wrestling fan. And um, it's just as early as three, four years ago, man. It was like Raw was much watched television on Monday night. One of the great things about living in the West Coast, you could watch the uh, Monday Night Football game. If it was any good, and you still wouldn't miss any of Raw. So I had the best of both worlds. If the game was great, I'd go ahead and watch and then turn to Raw. And uh, if I didn't, I'd either go to the gym or do something else if it wasn't interesting. But uh, I always made it the point almost all the time to have Raw as must-watch television. Now I it's just garbage. Now, sometimes if I'm doing something, I'll leave it on in the background or maybe I'll watch bits and pieces and depending upon my mood, I might watch a little bit. I haven't watched three hours of Raw in years. I just I just can't. And what they're presenting now is just garbage. It's just bottom of the barrel garbage. And it's just, feel sorry for a guy like Drew McIntyre, who I think if you had a strong lineup and you had strong storytelling and you had a strong direction, on where he was going, and you had some really good guys to work with, I think that Drew could really be a superstar. But, uh, you know, when you're working with 47-year-old Sheamus, and you're going to be you know, going up against Goldberg, and you just finish something with, uh, you know, Bobby. I think the, the, the 
program that he had with Bobby Lashley, that was, that was pretty good. At least you had two big guys out there fighting and stuff, but he just didn't have anybody to work with. I mean, he worked with Randy Orton, and he dropped the belt to Orton, and then he won it again, and the, the, the matches are fine. I mean, Drew's a good worker, and for his size and everything, he can always put on a good match, but, I mean, this the storytelling sucks, and this whole bullshit now with The Fiend, McIntyre's out because he has COVID, so he hasn't even been wrestling the last couple of weeks. It's just been doing, I guess, you know, videos of like, hey, how you doing, guys? I got uh, COVID. Be careful. But now they're centering on this nonsense with Bray Wyatt being the fiend and Orton, and it's just so, it's it's beyond ridiculous. It's, I, I'm, I'm willing to suspend reality for wrestling, but I'm willing to suspend it in terms of, you know, if, if you kick me in the chest as hard as you can six times, my heart's going to explode. You know, if you go up there and you pound me in the jaw about eight or nine times, as big as those guys are, and you pound somebody in the face eight or nine times, chances are you're going to kill them. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're Lashley. I don't care if you're McIntyre. I don't care if you're Sheamus. I don't care if you're Matt Riddle. I don't care. No matter how big and strong you are, Brock Lesnar can come back. Roman Reigns can jump, jump from SmackDown to Raw. If anybody working in that company who's a performer, if they punch somebody in the face five, six, seven, eight times, that will kill them. Whether you're Drew McIntyre or Daniel Bryan, you, it will kill you. At the very worst, at the very least, you'll be concussed. So these guys, you know, punch him in the face, you do the yes kicks and you know, all of these incredible moves off the top and the superplexes and all that kind of stuff. I'm willing to suspend reality and those guys, you know, take it and get right back up and keep on the fighting. Keith Lee does all this crazy stuff as far as getting hit and the close lines he gives and everything, and they get up and they keep a fighting and they get their second win. All right, I'm willing to suspend reality. They're putting on a performance. They're putting on a dance. They're putting on a show. They're telling the story. This is wrestling. I, I get it. It's entertainment. I get it. So I get it. I'm not going to sit there and be like, how is that guy still living after Drew McIntyre basically clotheslines the shit out of the guy? So I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. The Fiend, I don't get I'm not 11 years old. So th that bullshit, this nonsense, it's just beyond stupidity. And the beautiful Alexa Bliss, congrat congratulations, Alexa, on the marriage, by the way, or on the engagement. But Alexa Bliss now playing Harley Quinn and doing all this crazy stuff and is shooting fireballs in Randy Orton's face and setting Bray Wyatt or The Fiend or whoever on fire and being burned alive. And it's just like, oh, well, yeah. Guy got burned alive. Moving on to the next, uh, moving on to the next show. We're moving on to the next uh, program. It's just beyond stupidity, and it's just beyond ridiculous. Matt Riddle is uh, too annoying for words. It's just, it's just not any good. It's just not any good, and it bleeds over to um, SmackDown because Roman Reigns, the program that he's having right now, is the best in the business. But it's it can't offset offset the garbage. The absolute garbage, the absolute trash that Raw has become in terms of the writing, in terms of the believability. You, you, you should be able to do something with the Hurt Business. Uh, what are we doing here with uh, Big E? And I guess now him and, um, him and um, Apollo Crews are going to start a program. Okay. As far as WrestleMania season is concerned, I mean, we can't start elevating Big E. Um, you know, what What are we going to do with the women's division? Now this whole thing with Charlotte Flair and her father and 
Lacey Evans, the nonsense with the uh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke and them fighting uh, Shayna Baszler and my, it's just dumb. It's just ridiculous. It's just boring. It's just, I have no interest. In fact, I spoke too long about this. It's just frustrating because Vince is better than that. Vince is better than the garbage that he's putting uh, on television right now on Monday nights. And it's a shame. And you take a look at the talent on AEW and you take a look at the storylines, and yeah, some of them can be jumbled, and some of them have loose ends, and some of them are like, you know, stop, start, stop, starts with some of your programming, and I have no idea what they're going to do with Sting, and 61-year-old Steve Borden, he's really going to get in the ring, and I really want to see that. Uh, Taz and his crew, Brian Cage, and those guys, they look pretty good, and Darby Allen. I mean, those guys have real, real talent. Uh, you know, Sammy Gravana, my favorite, Sammy Gravana, and uh, those, those I, I w- love watching the Luchadors. Eddie Kingston has been a, 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 a great find on the mic, and might want to add a few more muscles and add a little bit more muscle tone for me to believe that he can go up against guys like um, uh, the Bastard Pack and all that kind of stuff. But but still, it's just like the a- AEW for me on Wednesdays at eight o'clock is much much is a must watch television. And it's the reason why as we approach, what time is it now? Good Lord, 11.37 on a Wednesday night. And knowing that I have to wake up in less than uh, six and a half hours, I'm cool with that. And I'm willing to sacrifice because I want to see what's happening on AEW. Despite the fact that, you know what, there really isn't a uh, there really isn't any eye candy either for AEW. That's another thing. I mean, AEW, I mean, Jay Cargill is a sexy looking, sexy looking beast, but she hasn't done anything. And... Uh, Dr. Britt Baker, she's attractive, but you know, her wrestling is all right. And a couple, of, there's a couple of females that look pretty good, but for the most part, there's nothing as far as the attractive level of a uh, of uh, what um, the WWE has. They don't have a Mandy Rose, they don't have a Dana Brooke, they don't have a Naomi, they don't have a Charlotte Flair, they don't have uh, any of those females who are not only great performers but they're also attractive. Alexa Bliss, of course. So, you know the. Despite the fact that AEW is doing so well, and like I mentioned before, they don't have to, uh, you know, bring out Miss America-looking females or really attractive females for the most part. Just shows you how strong the uh, wrestling product is. My main man, Kenny Omega, getting it done with Don Tillis. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's get back to some football, shall we? Um, the NFC Divisional Playoff Games, the Green Bay Packers moved into the... Championship game, 32-18 win over the L.A. Rams. Green Bay reached the NFC Championship game for the fourth time in seven seasons as they chased their first Super Bowl berth in a decade. (laughs) Pretty good. Aaron Rodgers threw two touchdown passes, also ran for a score. He was 23-36, 296 yards. The team rushed for 188 total yards on 36 carries, so we see that balance there. 36 rushes, 36 passes. Aaron Jones ran for... 99 yards on 14 carries. One game, of course, of 60 yards down the left side. But solid game by Green Bay. They didn't allow a sack, despite playing without an injured all-pro left tackle, David Barchiari. And they sacked Jared Goff four times. And Los Angeles went two of nine on third and fourth downs. Green Bay had 28 first downs. They were eight of 12 on third down. They held the ball for over 36 minutes. It was a, a very solid victory, of course, when Aaron Donald Donald is not near near 100% because of the injury that he suffered in the playoff game against the wildcard game against Seattle the week before. Of course, that makes the Green Bay offense that much better, but 
This was just something where it was like Green Bay was the better team. They looked sharp. They didn't have too much rust coming out of the uh, bye week. They looked rip-roaring, ready to go. They looked like the best team in the NFC. And if they can sustain that running game and that defense continues to play at the level that it's playing, and we see with Kansas City a little bit of the uh, little bit of the nervousness in that game against Cleveland. They didn't look like their old dominating selves. Very, very uh, necessary. Very uh, you know that to say that the Green Bay Packers for this week look like the best team in the NFL. We'll see moving forward. They have to play Tampa in the championship game. Quite sure. For Tampa, they're going, phew, that they don't have to play on a Sunday night in Green Bay instead of a Sunday afternoon. I still think the temperature in Green Bay, Wisconsin, is going to be somewhere around, what, 30-something degrees, somewhere around there? You know some people in Green Bay, right? What's the temperature going to be, what, 30-something degrees? It's going to be cold, let's put it that way, especially for a team like Tampa. But shit, you have Tom Brady, who's played in New England for 20 years. I don't think that a little bit of chilliness is going to affect Tom Brady in terms of his mentals going ahead and playing the football game in the cold. But... The way that the um, Packers are running the football, Aaron Jones continuing to be an under-the-radar type of running back in terms of not only can he run between the tackles, but this guy can also go out and uh, catch passes. So we're talking about a, an everyday back or every down back, which um, only adds to the potent offense of Green Bay. Alan Lazard, a couple of other uh, wide receivers for Green Bay got into the action. They're going to be needed. And the uh, championship game, Devontae Adams is still going to be Devontae Adams. That combination, that working relationship that he has with Aaron Rodgers is just about as potent as any wide receiver quarterback combo in the uh, game right now. So nothing to uh, really say in terms of that for Los Angeles Rams. I mean, where are you going to go? This is not a situation where it's like, well, they could have done this and they should have done that. And Jared Goff, he is who he is. I think Sean McVay called a, a good game I think the defense did about as well as they could in the first half there were a couple of uh, possible interceptions in the end zone that the uh, Rams cornerback dropped which could have I, I don't want to say changed the outcome of the game but they were big plays when they didn't make the stops that they should have but this was a situation where hey Green Bay was just a better team LA had a good season I don't know what they're going to do about their quarterback situation because now I hear that Jared Goff and Sean McVay are not on the same page but if I'm Jared Goff, uh, you know I, I ain't beat, beating my chest. And I ain't speaking too. Uh, I ain't speaking too uh, too much with a, with some bass in my voice like I'm the shit because basically you owe Sean McVay. You 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 should be paying a Sean McVay tax for that big contract extension that you got because when Jeff Fisher was the coach, you were floundering your first year as a quarterback, meaning number one pick. You were headed toward Busville. With a in the capital city of why in the fuck did we draft him, Bill? So Sean McVay came down in the, in the town, new sheriff in town, and his name wasn't Reggie Hammond. His name was Sean McVay, and he changed the course of your career, got you to the Super Bowl. But a collaborative issue, collaborative uh, working relationship on that. But he put golf in a situation to succeed, which he did, which got him P A I D exclamation exclamation point. So. I think uh, Jarrett needs to maybe temper just a little bit talking about what's going on, this, that, and the other. Maybe he needs to not talk to me or you or anybody else. Maybe call Sean and maybe hang him, have, have those guys hang out for a little bit in L.A. Maybe go down to uh, 
maybe him and the him and the family, their families need to spend a little time in Catalina Islands or you know take a little break or maybe go down to uh, Mexico and while the families are vacationing and getting some 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 them time, maybe the Sean and Jarrett should maybe air their grievances and see where they're going from there. But Green Bay with a much better team. Green Bay moves on. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And the Packers will be playing, as I mentioned before, the Tampa Tom Bay Buccaneers. Victory over New Orleans, 30-20. to Revenge for the two regular season losses to New Orleans, including, including the most embarrassing rock-bottom moment of the season for Tampa, that 38-3 beatdown at home on Sunday Night Football where Tom Brady looked not 43, but 63. And, uh, oh yeah, Bruce Arians, you might want to try running the ball every once in a while. That was the game where they were being criticized for that. So, good, uh, good rebound for the uh, Buccaneers. Tom Brady created three touchdowns, including one rushing, two of the touchdown passes came on short Passes to Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, who had a fucking game. Leonard Fournette was a fucking real deal in this game. The Buc- Buccaneers intercepted Drew Brees three times. Linebacker Devin White had a good game. Had two of the three interceptions thrown by Brees. Had 11 tackles, an interception, a fumble recovery. He was the man. So after falling behind, toward really the key of the ball game was Antoine Winf- Winfield Jr., who stripped uh, Jared Cook of the football when the Saints were leading 20-13. The um, Buccaneers went down and scored, and the momentum, I don't know how much momentum New Orleans had at the time, but basically the uh, direction of the game toward Winsville went toward the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and off to Winsville they did. So at the falling behind 20-13, Tampa Bay scored the game's final 17 points including 14 off turnovers. The last one, just to uh, put the exclamation point to say that we is going to the NFC Championship game, baby. So, great job by Tampa. Tom Brady, again, strong. Oh, hold on, hold on. Should I say strong? Hmm, I'm thinking about some of the plays that he made. I don't know if that would equate to him having a quote-unquote strong, but he was good. He was good. B, B game. Wasn't A plus, wasn't A minus, it wasn't vintage Brady. Leonard Fournette, I think, for the offense, was the unsung hero of that game. His running, his passing, he was he was fantastic. And against Green Bay, I mentioned before, I know that it's like you gotta let Tom pass, you gotta let Tom pass. And I know that Bruce Arian and Brian Brian uh Byron Leftwich are guys who'd like to throw the ball, and I'm quite sure they're gonna give uh Brady ample opportunity to. But man, the way that the Packers are playing defense, they're talking about the weather. I don't know if it's going to be breezy. I don't know what the elements are going to be. I know it's going to be cold. You can handle cold for the most part, especially if you're speaking about guys who have played for other teams and played in that type of uh, weather before. The fact that if you're Tampa Bay, you, you can deal with 38, 35, 32, 31, 28-degree weather. What makes it like, God damn, this is some fucking bullshit, is when it's windy. So I don't know exactly. I know we know it's going to be cold because this is Wisconsin, but I don't know what other elements it's going to factor into. If it's 30-something degrees and they have any type of windy conditions similar to what Buffalo and Baltimore were playing with or dealing with in their rough divisional uh, playoff game, then it's going to be super imperative that the uh, 
that the Buccaneers run the football and use not only Fournette but Ronald Jones. But um, Brady was good. Brady was good. And they're, they're moving on. The defense did what they need to do. I'm quite sure that uh, it's going to be some. I'll discuss this a little bit later on in my podcast. But quite sure there's going to be a little bit of revenge for the Packers after what the, um, the Buccaneers did to them in October. Gave the Packers their worst defeat of the uh, season. Gave them their first defeat of the season and their worst. So I'm quite sure in a situation like that, that the advantage as far as game film is concerned is going to go to Matt LaFleur and that coaching staff so they can go ahead and make some adjustments. It'd be nice if they could maybe block Ndamukong and Sue and maybe Aaron Rodgers won't th- turn the ball over a couple of times. But uh, I think in a situation uh, heading into the uh, NFC Championship games, both the Buccaneers and the, and the Green Bay Packers are playing well. And for Drew Brees, if you played this last game, 19 for 34, 134 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. I guess you could say this era of, this era, whatever you want to call it, of New Orleans Saints football, filled with what ifs. Because you take a look, if Drew Brees doesn't come back, what are they going to do with the quarterback position? They said they're going to keep Jameis Winston. I don't know. Jameis Winston could be a free agent. Is Winston going to want to come back to be a backup, especially if there's going to be a team out there desperate enough, <clears throat> Chicago, that might want to go ahead and pay him starters money? We might want to uh, you know, give him the opportunity, <clears throat> uh, New England, to uh, maybe start and be a starting quarterback. Is he going to put his faith in the Sean uh, Payton to maybe say, let's go with a dual quarterback uh, system, you and Taysom Hill? Does he want to work with that? I'm quite sure money is going to be the driving factor, money and opportunity, but there are some there are some jobs out there that uh, could come up in terms of starting quarterback uh, quarterback position <coughs> Washington that Winston might want to uh, take a look at. So moving forward with New Orleans, man, it was just like one bad thing after another with them, man. If it ain't one thing, and then motherfucker another word to my granny and my daddy and my mother. We're standing on the corner or bouncing in the six deuce. When I was locked up, I couldn't wait to get loose. Snoop Dogg. But, um, yeah, you had the you had the nonsense dealing with the um, the Vikings, the uh, Stephon Diggs catching that Hail Mary. It wasn't even a Hail Mary because when he caught the ball the last play of the game, he still had to run a couple of 10, 15 yards to get into the end zone. So I'm quite sure that's a game that stung for the Saints. We're speaking about the game where they were robbed the golden opportunity to win when a when a pass interference called or legal hit wasn't called, which caused the Rams to go down in overtime to uh, kick a field goal, even though we forget that New Orleans threw an interception to set up the Rams to win the football game. So while that non-call was big, was extremely important, that wasn't the only reason why the Saints lost an opportunity to win that game. But it just seemed like some bullshit, some nonsense. Kirk Cousins getting his first win in the playoffs. Cal Rudolph catching that pass in overtime in New Orleans last season to send them home. It was just, maybe it wasn't meant to be. But you could see Drew Brees, crack ribs or no crack ribs. And I'm quite sure once everything, once, once the dust is settled, we'll find out that, yeah, he was hurting a lot more than any of us ever believed in that game against Tampa Bay and that game against Chicago. It was it was time to go. He was throwing those Tom Glavin-type <laughs> He looked like he looked like thirty-seven-year-old Tom Glavin of the New York Mets 
out there throwing the football. That's how much velocity Drew Brees was throwing his footballs at. Going on guile, going on intelligence, but just the way it was for Drew Brees. You're 42 years old, man, with cracked ribs. Even without cracked ribs, it's not like Drew Brees was going straight Josh Allen in terms of his arm power is concerned. So we don't know what's going to be happening with Michael Thomas. I mean, they've got Kamara. They've got a good defense. They've got a good offensive line. But they've got some work to do, and they're over the salary cap. So they've got some work to do with New Orleans to uh, bring it back, to run it back again. But this is the end of uh, an interesting era for the New Orleans Saints. If you want to call them underachievers, if you equate the record by the playoff success or failures, sure, go ahead. That's an argument, a point. But uh, just shit wasn't meant to be. Drew Brees, of course, first-team Hall of Famer. And you know what? Drew Brees as a man... I think we sort of kind of owe him an apology because he took a lot of shit. A lot of it was his doing. I'm not saying he didn't bring the shit on himself where he made that comment about, I don't know why people um, should kneel during the national anthem and this is what the flag and the national anthem means for me, you know, so I don't understand people doing this and blah, blah, blah. Malcolm Jenkins came out at him and a lot of people came out at him and he deserved the criticism that he got. But I will say this. The way that Breeze handled the situation, I mean, that's that's a man right there. That's a man and a half right there. There's just someone where it's kind of like, okay, your, your sons are going to be all right. Because the way you handled that, if you're passing that along to your son, that, that's the way to go. That's the way to do it. He owned it. He admitted it. He talked to those who he offended, who he hurt. He seemed genuinely, he seemed genuinely saddened and hurt by some of the emotions, negative emotions and hurt feelings that he caused. So as a man, he went out and spoke with them. He apologized as a man on video, letting people let people see him and hear him. So I think a lot of people who were sitting there talking about Drew Brees needs to retire. Drew Brees will never be the same. I've lost all respect for Drew Brees. All, all of this, all of this nonsense and all of this bullshit, especially coming from black folks. We as a community, come on now. Come on, come on. If you're living in a glass house, don't be throwing those stones. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying again that Drew Brees didn't deserve the ire, didn't deserve the um, the venom at the beginning. But damn, man. I mean, you know, there's only one person who's never made a mistake walking this earth and, they, and people nailed him to a cross. So the way that Drew Brees handled the situation, the way that Drew Brees came back, shows you that Drew Brees is a man among men in this NFL where you have to be a man to play this game. So I salute the career of Drew Brees, everything that he's done, one of the best quarterbacks who's ever played the game, uh, generational great. So congratulations, special dedication going for Drew Brees on that. But also, not just special dedication, Drew Brees, the football player and the career that he had, but also from the outside looking in of what I know about Drew Brees, my impressions of Drew Brees, special dedication of him being a man.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Shalom. Namaste. Wassalamu alaikum. Konnichiwa. Kepasa. Bonjour. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on in the world of sports, football, the playoffs, everything that's going down. Had to uh, vent a little bit about some wrestling. UFC 257 is coming up on, uh, what day is that? Uh, this upcoming Saturday, Conor McGregor's back on the hill. Back in the octagon fighting Dustin Poirier. I don't know, man. You know, one of the sports that is really, I don't know if I could say lost my attention, but one of the sports that I, that has affected me in terms of not having an audience is the UFC. I, I just I just haven't gotten into it like I should have. Now, one of the things that have really turned me off about the sport is Colby Covington. I fucking hate that guy. Or I, I hate his shtick. I fucking cannot stand his shtick. And the bullshit and the racist bullshit and that type of fucking race baiting bullshit stick that he does. And Dana White sitting up there talking about, hey, you know, you get to say what you want to say. No big deal. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what, man? Go fuck yourself. I'm, 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 I'm going to take a break from the UFC until y'all, y'all do something with Colby Covington. And like, hey, man, look, find, find a new shtick. Find a new angle. Find a new character. You know, do, do, do something else. But, you know, his bullshit with the motherfucker that was in the White House for four years and that shtick and, you know, calling the, the, the shit that he was calling Tyron Woodley and all that nonsense. It's like, you know what, man? Go fuck yourself. Really, if you really need to do all that shit for people to, uh, to uh, pay attention to you, then, you know, maybe you need to look at yourself in the mirror. Because you're a fucking poser. You're a fucking clown. And you're a great fighter. And you could... You could break any bone in my body with a matter of 15 seconds. I get it. I understand it. I'm not talking about the fighter. As a fighter, you're one of the best welterweights in the world. Hell, you might even be the best welterweight in the world. Still think Kamar Usman is better. And he broke your jaw, which was beautiful. But your performance is against a washed-up Tyron Woodley. All right, that doesn't impress me. That don't mean anything to me. Big fucking deal. Tyron Woodley hadn't won a round, let alone a fight, in years. I mean, he's, he's gone. He's way past expiration date in terms of being a, a real contender for a top-notch fighter in that in that division, in that weight class. So that bullshit, you beat up a Robbie Lawler who was fading a, a while ago. That's no big fucking deal. The bullshit that you were talking about with Matt Hughes after the fight, you know, going that angle. Basically doing everything that you can for people to hate you so people will tune in to see you lose. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather did that for real because Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather is someone that could, you know, you could easily hate because he's not a really good human being. You were, you're, you're just a fucking asshole, man, the shit that you're doing. You're just a fucking uneducated jackass to be doing the shit that you're doing. And guess what? It really hasn't paid off, Colby. Now, you sit up there and talk about, well, yeah, I was winning fights, but uh, the UFC let me know that they were going to cut me because I was too boring and I need to come up with some new character or I need to come up with something to make people pay attention to me. So I went ahead and, and, and did this. So basically, uh, I'm being forced to do this because, you know, I need to put food on my table. Fuck you. There are many fighters who work with you that said you were a fucking piece of shit before you even uh, went that route. I want I want the baddest motherfucker Jorge Masvidal to fucking fight your ass and beat the living shit out of you, punk ass bitch. And like I said, if he heard me say this and he was motivated, he could uh, shatter my jaw and break my limbs and do all the things to me in less than thirty seconds. So who's the bitch now? I get it, I understand it, but as a human being, 
<laughs> you know, just because you can whip my ass doesn't mean that you're a better human being than me or that you're somehow have more inner strength than me. You can go ahead and whip my ass, but guess what? You're still a punk-ass bitch as a human being for the shit that you're doing and the shit that you're saying. So, you know, I'm, I'm off the UFC. Uh, I used to watch every pay-per-view card. I used to watch every every uh, UFC card that I could, no matter it was, if it was on Fox, if it was on ESPN+, Plus, or whatever it was, I was going to watch the UFC, and I was going to watch every single um, pay-per-view card. I watched Frank Mir fight Mirko Krikal, Mirko, what you know that motherfucker's name? Back in uh, when they fought in Indiana, I mean, I've I've seen some dogs of pay per views. I've seen some really bad ones. I mean, I went on a streak where I went years without missing a UFC pay per view card. But um, the fact that there's nobody in, in the, the uh, seats, the fact that uh, you know Colby Covington is getting away with the shit that he's saying, turned me off. So I think the last fight that I watched was um, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. And I watched uh, Khabib's last fight like months later. But I have no interest in, uh, I mean, Conor McGregor fighting Dustin Poirier. All right, we'll, we'll see what happens. McGregor hasn't been back in the octagon. He only, what, fought Donald Cerrone, who losing everybody. So the fact that he looked impressive, but he also was in there in the octagon with someone who would accentuate his strength and make him look as good as possible. If you look, take a look at the style matchups, and you take a look at Cerrone, where Cerrone is in his career right now. So, while it was impressive, while it was great, everybody's shouting, He's back! Money Mac is back! He's back! Oh, slow down a little bit. Slow down a little bit. He was made to look good, and he looked good. But Poirier? Poirier's going to give him some... Uh, Poirier's going to make him work. Now, if he, you know, it looks impressive against Poirier, then that really opens up the door for possibly Khabib coming out of retirement and fighting Connor somewhere down the line, which... Kind of running his mouth could be a uh, could be a one point six. I don't think it would get two mil, but it would be a huge pay per view buy moving forward. So I'm guessing that uh, if Connor looks impressive against Poirier, he should win. He's a he's a big favorite or he's a solid favorite, and I think uh, McGregor should uh, should do well. But I'm interested to see how good he looks, how much better he has looked. Since he went through all the trials and tribulations in his personal life, and he went down to Portugal for uh, for a, for a month or two, and he's got a nutritionist, and he's learning all these new tricks of the trade, and he's relatively young to be uh, continuing to grow and get better. But like I said, he hadn't fought in a while, and he's only had one fight uh, in a while. So we will see what happens on Saturday moving forward. I just know that I will not be watching it. So because of that, I will not be doing a podcast on it because I don't talk about anything in terms of a fight or an event is concerned unless I actually watch it, which I can talk about it. So there we go. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the conference championships moving back to football. The games this weekend, Buffalo at Kansas City. Of course, the key in that game is the status of Patrick Mahomes. Now, what a source told Adam Schefter, he remains in the NFL's concussion protocol. And it's too early to say that he definitely will play in the AFC Championship game against the Buffalo Bills this upcoming Sunday. Mahomes cleared certain steps on Monday, some big steps. But the reigning Super Bowl MVP still must go through the other steps to clear the concussion protocol in the coming days. So there's hope and optimism considering he is expected to practice on Wednesday, which he did today. 
And you know, not only is he uh, dealing with the concussion, but he also hurt his toe, which was uh, hampering him throughout the game. Andy Reid said that uh, he didn't think it's going to be a problem, but uh, it's something to uh, take a look at. As I mentioned before, I think that the chances of Kansas City winning that game are slim to none if they have to go with Chad Henney. Now against Cleveland, hey, Henney, six for eight, passing 66 yards, threw a horrendous interception. But when a play had to be made, not only did he make one of them, he made two of them. Two of the biggest plays of the game for Kansas City. The 13-yard run to set up a short fourth down uh, attempt and then the conversion to ice the game, the pass to Tariq Hill on the right side for the, um, as I mentioned before, the icy game for Kansas City. So, look, these teams played in week six. Kansas City won 26-17. Allen was mediocre. Mahomes was workmanlike, 21-26, 225 yards. But in that game, Kansas City had 245 yards rushing against the Bills' defense. And as I mentioned before, I think if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, but I don't know what the line is, but if, I'm betting the over-under. I'm going under in this game. I think it's going to be a well-played game. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to come down to a field goal or anything like that. But I, but I think that the versatility and the experience that Kansas City has in these championship games, they lost in overtime the first time they made it with um, playing against the New England Patriots in the next year, coming back to uh, win the game against the Tennessee Titans, down 17 and going to the Super Bowl. So, again, I think the experience factor is going to play big in a situation like this, not to mention the home field advantage. Weather should not be uh, an advantage for either team. Both play in weather that's inclement during this time of the season. So that's not going to be a big deal one way or the other. Of course, Edwards Alaire is not going to be playing. So Damian Robinson is going to have to be the guy that's going to pick up the slack. Again, coming back from concussion, we don't know how much that's going to affect uh, Mahomes. I do think Mahomes is going to play in this situation. He tweeted a couple of days earlier that he's fine, he's ready to go, and all those type of things. And as I mentioned before, not to sound, not to sound someone doing something in the grassy knoll at the Texas, at the uh, Dallas textbook depository, but uh, I think that. Uh, There'll be situations where, yeah, we're going to find a way to get Mahomes out there and to play. So, because of that, I think Allen's going to be it's going to be strong. I don't know if they're going to be able. Kansas City is such a bend but don't break defense because they rely so much on the their offense to score points. But they have shown throughout the season that they also can win a game when defense is going to be. Is going to be needed to be the star of the show. So while people are going to be looking toward offense, 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 who can score, who can outscore the most, I also think defense in this game is going to be a big tall tale sign along with the, the running game. A little bit old school in this situation. I think Mahomes is going to uh, make his presence felt. I think that Allen is going to make his presence felt. I think Diggs is going to have a good game. I just think that's going to come down to the experience of the Kansas City football team for them to go on to the Super Bowl, especially playing at home. So Kansas City, in my estimation and my guesstimation, should be the team that's going to represent the American Football Conference in the Super Bowl this season after they beat the Bills this Sunday. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And the NFC Championship game, as I mentioned before, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, 
temperature at game time. I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere in the 30s. I think it's going to be a much different game than the last time they played. If you remember October 18th of the season, in which Tampa Bay won 38-10, scoring 38 straight points. That was the best game of the season for Tampa Bay. Wouldn't you agree? I would. And it's the worst game of the season for Green Bay. Wouldn't you agree? That was the main time where I was sitting there talking about, man, for all of the stuff about Aaron Rodgers, and this, this, is, this was the second test in terms of Green Bay failing. In terms of what's going to happen when a team gets physical with these guys. What's going to happen when a team gets a little chippy with these guys? What's going to what's going to be Green Bay's response when basically someone sucker punches them and gets punched and punches them in the mouth? Are they going to say, "Hey, that hurt. I wasn't even ready." Or are you going to say, "Hey, man, what the fuck are you?" And then go after them again and say, "You going to punch me? I'm going to punch you right back." That game against Tampa Bay, Green Bay got punched in the face, and they said, "Hey, that's not how. Why did you punch me for?" And it was the same situation when they played San Francisco last year. That defense beat up on Aaron Rodgers, and it looked like Green Bay was like, what do you want us to do, fight back? It looked like that against Tampa, the first game that they played, or the first time they played in October. So I was a little bit down. And yet you could talk about, hey, Devontae Adams was just getting his legs together. He had missed a couple of games because of injury. So I think that might have been his first game back, or he was still rounding himself, himself into shape, and they were playing at Tampa, and I think the, um, I think at that time, Green Bay was undefeated, so they might have been fully, uh, you know, feeling, feeling themselves just a little bit, while I think more of the desperation of that game was placed on the shoulders of Tampa Bay, and they, and they came out, especially after that interception, Green Bay came up 10 nothing. and was like, hey, man, this is cool, we're going to be doing the same shit we've been doing for the first five or six days, we're just going to skiddly doop on the skiddly doop of- Oh, hey, hey, that hurt. What did you punch me for? That was the interception thrown by Aaron Rodgers, which started the deluge of points for Tampa Bay. So they led 10-0, Rodgers threw that interception, and basically that was all she wrote for the swagger and the confidence of Green Bay in that game. The Buccaneers scored 28 points in the second quarter, including seven on a pick six from Jamel Dean and 14 more. On uh, two late touchdown passes from Tom Brady on third down, the running game just bludgeoned the defense for uh, Green Bay. It was, it was a, it was. They got beat up. Basically, what they were they, they, they got punked. They got beat up. The bully took their lunch money, and um, basically, Green Bay were a bunch of bitches. They played like a bunch of bitches that day. I'm not, I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying on that day, I guess the way you could describe the way. They were punked physically by Tampa. It was basically they were bitch slapped and they just went to the corner and um, curled up in a ball. I don't think that's going to happen this game. <laughs> I think that uh, Green Bay is going to come out with a little bit of, uh, you know what? Not only are we going to, that, that, that motivation enough is going to the Super Bowl. I don't think that, you know. If we had just barely won that game, we would have came out lackadaisical. And, you know, I, don't, I don't think that's going to be the mindset. I don't think that would have been the mindset of Green Bay coming out to this game. But I think not only the foundation, the cake, which is winner get to go to the Super Bowl, the extra frosting is, or the, the frosting on the cake is, damn, we got to get our manhood back. I don't think Tampa, the coaches, Todd Bowles, 
the defenders, Bruce Arians, everybody in that organization thinks that the same thing is going to happen this time. I'm quite sure that those guys are like, hey, man, embrace yourself because uh, Aaron's coming for revenge, and those guys are coming for revenge. So they're going to be physical. Aaron Jones is going to run like a fucking man and a half. I think that those guys are going to play with something to prove. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be extra locked in. Again, main reason, chance to go to the Super Bowl. Underlying reason, we got to get our respect back. And you can easily, after watching that game film, I'm quite sure that Tom Brady's not sitting there going, oh, yeah, these motherfuckers are some bitches. I don't think that's the mindset of Tampa Bay at all. But to put that um, to put that mental into the minds of the Green Bay Packers, Matt LaFleur and those guys, I don't know if there are. I don't, I don't know their co- coaching philosophy on this. I haven't had the opportunity to sit down and talk to them about it. But I'm, I'm quite sure I would be pushing the, hey, man, you know, this game – not only do you got to win, you got to get your manhood back. You got to let Ndamukong Sue and the rest of those guys know that uh, you you can't fucking uh, you know you can't you can't treat us like this, man. You know you you can't you can't treat us like uh, like um, like we're a bunch of bitches. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the deal. Don't don't, don't treat us the way Max Holloway treated his opponent this past Saturday on the or this past Sunday. At the UFC, uh-uh. we're, we're not going out like that. You know, we ain't the generals, and you ain't the, and you ain't the Harlem Globetrotters. No, 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 you ain't. Uh, you guys ain't Goldberg, and we ain't Dolph Ziggler. Boom. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a much different game, and I and I think also that the Packers are going to win home field advantage. It's going to be Rogers' year, and if you take a look. And Tom Brady is one to break all moles. But if you take a look at quarterbacks in their advanced age, and in a situation like this, they normally come up short. The one that comes to my mind is Brett Favre. His first year with the Minnesota Vikings took him to the NFC Championship game against the New Orleans Saints. And uh, New Orleans beat him up all around. And Favre threw a horrible interception near the end of the game, and New Orleans ended up winning in overtime. I think that was 2009, went on to beat the Indianapolis Colts in the Super Bowl. So, I think in this situation, the Packers and Rodgers get their revenge, which sets up the Super Bowl of the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City football team, the Kansas City defending champions, which you're talking about some meat on the bone to talk about in terms of Rodgers versus Mahomes. I mean, we can just, I don't know if the Super Bowl is going to be two weeks. I don't know if they're going to have a two-week break. I'm quite sure because of COVID. They're like, let's just hurry up, play this game, and get it over with. So I think it's going to be only one week, but it gives you just enough time to focus on if Kansas City and Green Bay make it. If those guys make it, it's about Rodgers versus Mahomes. And even... If the Buccaneers make it, it's about Mahomes versus Brady. So either way, as long as Kansas City makes it, and Buffalo has Josh Allen. So quarterback-wise, which is the main talking point for these folks to talk about and what the main interest is for people who follow the game, I think that um, the narratives and I think that the talking points and the discussions on NFL Live and the Shannon and Skip show and the Nick Wright show and the Stephen A. show and the... Uh, and the Mike Greenberg show and any other show, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be well taken care of in terms of what they're going to be able to talk about for a week. Either Josh Allen versus Tom Brady, Josh Allen versus 
Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. Either way, either or, the winner of these games from the AFC NFC Championship games is going to provide us with not only good and you know good stuff to talk about, but I think any four of those teams, any combinations that you take a look at in terms of who's going to be playing in the Super Bowl is going to be is going to be excellent for a really good competitive Super Bowl. Sports, special dedication to Otis Redding, special dedication to Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops, special dedication to Marvin Gaye, special dedication to Sam Cooke, special dedication to Donnie Hathaway, special dedication to Aretha Franklin, special dedication to Anita Baker, special dedication to Sam and Dave, special dedication to Stack Studios, special dedication to all of the legends, to all of the musical legends. The fact that we don't speak or Hear that type of stuff. Special dedication to Sam Cook and James Brown. Forgot about those two. Shouldn't have. The fact that we don't talk about them in the school books. The fact that we don't talk about them in the history classes. The U.S. history. It's a shame. It's a shame. It's a shame. When I go to some of these schools and I play my music during my prep period or sometimes I might play it a little bit loud enough for maybe some of the student aides who are hanging around the, the table with me to hear this stuff and they listen to a little Stevie Wonder they listen to a little Donny Hathaway they listen to a little Curtis Mayfield they listen to a little Anita Baker they listen to those legends those fabulous fabulous musicians when they listen to the Temptations and they get that quizzative look when I play them the National Anthem which was played not only by Marvin Gaye but Jose Feliciano and I see a little, hmm, that's impressive in their eyes, in their in their body language. And I say, have you ever heard of these guys? You ever heard of Ray Charles? Ever heard of Stevie Wonder? Ever heard of Donny Hathaway? Ever heard of Levi Stubbs? Ever heard of the great, the legendary, the all-time great Otis Redding? Ever heard of James Brown? And they go, I said, well, don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I blame the parents and I blame the school system. Shame. Damn shame. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Woo, what's the latest on Deshaun Watson, man? Mm, where are we going? Have you heard anything? This is the latest I've got. Sources told ESPN out of Schefter a few days ago, multiple people in and around the Houston, Texas organization believe Deshaun Watson has played his last snap with the team. Watson is up, still upset over the Texans 
among other issues, trying to go ahead and uh, get themselves a coach and a general manager without his uh, without his input. When saying that, yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, you know have you uh, give us your input on who should be and who should be doing what. Not not saying that whoever you say we're going to hire. And Deshaun Watson again. I think this is one of the. I think this is the most important thing of the story on why Deshaun Watson wants to be traded. It's, it's not the situation where he's upset because he wants to choose the general manager and the coach. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. The only thing Deshaun Watson wants to do is to recommend, give his perspective from also not just his, but also from the leader of the team, of the locker room, the fellows in the locker room. He wants to be the spokesperson for them throwing his thoughts and feelings also give them that information. And if they feel, uh, if, if, if that helps them move ahead and hire a coach in a GM or a GM who's going to hire the coach or whatever, then that's what Deshaun Watson wants. Deshaun Watson wants to be in on the uh, conversations and be able to ask questions on behalf of himself and his teammates in terms of, well, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do to change the culture? How are you going to be using this guy? How are you going to be using the offense? What's your philosophy on defense? What's going to be this schedule in terms of, uh, you know, weightlifting and the OTAs and the practices and everything else? I mean, he just wants, they, they just want, Deshaun just wants to be able to give his input. So when they make a decision, they can have a better decision to make and hopefully take into account this is what some of the players are asking for. This is what the locker room this is what they're looking for in a coach. So when we go ahead and get a coach or a GM or we interview a coach or a GM, when we're deciding on who we're going to have, we can all have this information that was given to us to make a decision. That's the thing with Deshaun Watson. Again, it has nothing to do with Deshaun Watson being upset because he can't decide who's going to be the coach and who can't, and he can't decide, he can't be the ultimate uh, person to decide who's going to be the GM and coach. So when... Him and the owner, Cal McNair, were talking about, yeah, we're going to you know, ask for your input. We're going to ask for this, that, and the other. And then he's on vacation. Then they find out that um, they go ahead and they hired Tom, uh, this guy from the New England Patriots, uh, Nick Casario, and he's not included. When they said that he would, it's like, well, what the fuck, man? This is the same old shit that's been going on for uh, ever since I've been here. You go ahead and you trade DeAndre Hopkins. You don't let me know about it. Not only were we... Uh, a magnificent receiving quarterback duo. This was also one of my homeboys, man. This was also one of my fellows who you went ahead and traded away. This is one of my best friends. And yeah, I know it's a business. It's not a country club and it's, you know, not a social factor. I understand that. But for me being the face of the franchise and for me having to adjust on the offense to not having my number one receiver and, you know, it just happens to be one of the best receivers in the game. If you could give me a heads up before you go ahead and make this trade, I would surely much appreciate it. Not just just a respect level. And I think that every turn here, Deshaun Watson is feeling more disrespect and more disrespect and more disrespect. And for all you stupid motherfuckers who want to shout and scream and say, well, big deal, you are the employee. They are the owners. You are just a guy who plays on the football team. You're not the guy who's going to be making the decisions. We have people for that. Your job is to throw passes. So stay in your lane. Stick to what you know. It's not about that at all. It's just common courtesy. Because guess what, you stupid motherfuckers who feel that way? Without Deshaun Watson, the Texans were, what, 4-11-1 or 4-12 in this season? Imagine what they're going to be without him. Now, you can say, well, what's the big difference between 2-14 and 4-12? and Not too much. But also, you take Deshaun Watson off that team, the value 
of that football team, of that organization, of that franchise goes down. So yeah, it's pretty important that you have Deshaun Watson lockstep and barrel and on the same page, if I've used those cliches on your uh, thinking about what you're going to do to move this franchise forward. Dog, doggone it, man. Deshaun Watson, there's good quarterbacks, there's franchise quarterbacks, and then there's elite quarterbacks. There's like elite franchise quarterbacks where you're not just a franchise quarterback, you're among the elite of those franchise quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson is in that elite franchise quarterbacks. He's on the same plane as the Patrick Mahomes. He's on the same plane as an Aaron Rodgers. That's what Deshaun Watson is. But because he was surrounded by garbage in terms of professional football players that can help them win professional football games, because the former coach slash GM decided to trade away his best receiver for nothing, decided to throw away all of the first-round draft picks for a left tackle who's good, but he's far from being uh, Anthony Munoz. Because he decided, because uh, his other receiver that was really good decided uh, decided that he was going to fail a drug test, which which, uh, which uh, meant that he couldn't play for the rest of the season. I mean, all those things come into account. Because he plays on a defense where nobody on that defense can tackle anybody, maybe with the exception possibly of J.J. Watt, half the time, not like he did four or five years ago, because no one on that defense can stop the run. Nobody on that defense can stop a pass because Deshaun is responsible for having to score at least 31 or 35 points a game for Houston to have a chance. Fuck yeah, you better treat that motherfucker with respect, you stupid motherfuckers. Come on now. And damn right you better be concerned if Deshaun Watson is upset, which he is. And damn right you should have included him in terms of the conversation. Again, you're not... You're not dealing with a diva. You're dealing with a 25-year-old in his prime for the next four or five, six, seven years type of top two, top three quarterback who has the look, who has the personality, who has the humbleness to be a guy that can be not just the face of your franchise, but also be the face of the league, which in turn raises the value of your franchise. Because Deshaun Watson is not just going to be selling merchandise and being the great this, that, and the other in the city of Houston, Texas. He can be like that for Laredo. He can be like that for Albuquerque, New Mexico. He can be like that in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He can be like that in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He can be like that in Alabama. He can be like that in terms of being popular, in terms of being jerseys being sold. He can be like that in Columbia, South Carolina. He can be like that in Albany, Georgia. He can be like that in Minneapolis, St. Paul. He can be like that in Concord, Maine. He can be like that throughout the entire goddamn country to have a quarterback like that on your team, which again raises the value of your franchise. So yeah, you're doggone right. You better start treating him with a lot more respect. You better start treating him with royalty. And for Houston, that means that you have to fire Nick Casario to do that, to get back to Deshaun Watson's good graces. You better do that. You better find out everything you need to do outside of firing the owner to get to the point that the owner can't fire himself. But outside of that, you better do everything humanly possible if I'm Cal McNair to see what I can do to... uh, Get in the good graces of Deshaun Watson. 
Whatever coach you want to hire, just tell me, and I'll say it was my decision, this, that, and the other. Whatever GM you want me to hire, I'll hire him, and I will say it's my decision. So I won't even put that burden on you in terms of, well, Deshaun wants, Deshaun gets. Gee, what the hell's going on with this, that, and the other? Believe me, I'll take all the bullets. I'll take all the venom. I'll take all the fire if this doesn't work. Just please tell me what you need. Please tell me what you want. Coach, player, organization, shoe sign, barbershop guy, whatever you do. you need upgrades on the facilities? Do you want me to get your homeboys or your cousins or your nieces or whatever, new homes, cars, stocks, whatever you want me to do, please, for God's fucking sakes, let me know because we cannot afford to lose you on any uh, in any situation at all. So that, that should be the Houston Texans, um, that should be the Houston Texans attitude moving forward when it comes to Deshaun Watson. But, uh, you know, there's a widespread speculation that Houston could trade Watson this offseason or be faced with the real possibility that he could decide to withhold his services and not report if he isn't dealt. He, he could do, a, as I mentioned before, he could do a James Harden without going to a strip joints and uh, birthday parties for rappers this offseason while, while training camp is going on. You know, he, he's down at Little Darlings, you know, getting his lap dance on. So the Texans know they have a problem. They've recognized it. One source told ESPN Sarah uh, Bartshot that the Texans have had internal conversations about possible trade partners. And what their quarterback position would look like in the future without Watson. You, you also better take the temperature of the fan base, of the community. Because if you go ahead and do this right now, sentiment is on the side of Watson. The majority. So you, you better take the temperature of your season ticket holders about going ahead and doing this. Because the only way that you can come out of this looking clean is within a couple of years, you win a Super Bowl. I mean, shit, that was the only thing that saved Edmonton when they traded Wayne Gretzky. The fact that a few years later, they won a Stanley Cup when he was first dealt to Los Angeles. Now, I'm not saying that Deshaun Watson had the same type of impact culturally and you know on a community like Gretzky did with Edmonton. But what I'm saying is Peter Pocklington, damn near that, that, that fan base in that city, in that region of Canada, put him through fucking hell for trading a guy like Gretzky still in his prime to, of all places, the Los Angeles Kings. And Janet Jones is still not the most, uh, shall we say, popular female or popular human being in the uh, city of, uh, of Edmonton or in that region of Canada. So if you're Cal McNair, you, you, better, you better think long and hard about this. And if you're going to trade this guy, you better say 2024 20, at the very latest. We, we've got to be either Super Bowl champions or real contenders. And hope for God that Deshaun doesn't continue to play like this. Like, if you send him to the Jets, he better not be a guy where the Jets are now 11-5 and five in the 2024 season. And you're still sitting there being 3-13, and 4-12 and 12 and going nowhere. If you're going to do this, if you're going to do this, if you're going to beg and plead the New York Jets to take him so you can go ahead and draft uh, Justin Fields, you, you you better hope Justin Fields by the time 2024 rolls around is a top seven, top eight quarterback. Because if he ain't, mm, 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 if you trade with uh, Miami, you get Tua, you, you better hope that he uh, duplicates the success that he had when he was the quarterback at uh, Alabama. 
which means in a couple of years be top three, top four in the league, face of the franchise, selling merchandise, selling jerseys, doing all that type of stuff. Because if you don't, and Watson goes to Miami, and you know him and Brian Flores click, and they become the modern-day Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, modern-day, shall I dare say, 50% of Bill Belichick, Tom Brady? What's, what, what's Houston going to be looking like? What is the Texans organization in the, in the, in the history books going to be looking like? What are they going to be looking like? It ain't going to be good. It's not going to be good. So, as I mentioned before, a, close, a source close to Watson told ESPN insider Chris Mortensen that the Dolphins remain prominent as an acceptable landing spot because Watson likes the culture. He has observed under Miami's head coach, Brian Flores, and there's no state income tax in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A report last week from the Miami Herald, though, indicated there was, there was nothing to see here regarding the rumors tying Watson, a disgruntled superstar, to the Dolphins. Now, that could be very cagey and coy to say, nothing to see here. Well, there, there's nothing to see here because we don't want you to see anything because we're trying to do this on the DL. We're trying to do this kind of sneakily. You know what I'm saying? So there's nothing to see here. Don't look this way because we might not want to uh, get other folks involved to where they might ratchet up the uh, asking price to where we might have to give up something that we might not want to give up. But uh, where we are right now and the talks regarding Deshaun Watson and everything is in the preliminary stage. We're talking things through. We're bantering the idea and all this kind of stuff. We're getting opinions and everything like that. So we're, we're, we're building ourselves a good foundation a good relationship concerning this with Miami. Don't be fucking spreading around news talking about, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that, which causes maybe the New York Jets to up the ante, that maybe the New England Patriots or maybe the Philadelphia, no, the Eagles, are, sorry, I don't know. But, you know, another team, the New Orleans Saints, maybe they go for broke. Those teams are cap-strapped and handicapped in certain ways. But still, if I'm the Dolphins or if I'm the... Uh, if I'm the um, Texans, yeah, man, just, you know, if I'm dealing with the Dolphins, if you could just kind of, you know, let the uh, media and them know that, uh, you know, we're speaking, we're not, we're not speaking, but, you know, we're, you know, we're going to do this privately. I would have, I would appreciate that. Chris Greer and, um, <laughs> and, and, and uh, Nick Casario. So those are the things. I mentioned before, man, um, the first thing that they need to do if you're the Texans, the first thing they need to do and the people down there, what they need to do is they need to listen to the podcast, Wendell's World of Sports, which just truly win the walls. I think it would be very, very uh, spiritually uplifting for them. But also regarding Deshaun Watson, what they need to do is they need to uh, go ahead and fire Jack Easterby, who's the current executive vice president of football operations, who's been running the franchise since Bill O'Brien, as I mentioned before, the, the, the head coach and GM was fired after the Texans started the season 0-4. I mean, this is the man here who has no relevant experience with contract negotiations, salary salary cap intricacies, intricacies, talent evaluation, anything on field football coaching, anything regarding a successful GM, Jack Easterby has none of. No experience, nothing. So you might ask, well, Exactly what was he? What's his background? Well, <laughs> he was a former team chaplain in New England who was then a quote-unquote character coach. 
I don't know what a character coach is, but something tells me that Bill Belichick is not going to be uh, given giving anybody huge responsibilities in terms of his football team's wins and losses uh, as far as game planning, in terms of salary cap, in terms of on-field coaching decisions, in terms of draft talent evaluations, in terms of dealing with the salary cap and deals with contract negotiations, anything that you would need to have as a foundation to be a, to be a vice president of football operations or a GM. Being a character coach in New England, under Bill Belichick after being the team chaplain, don't think that uh, gets you ready for the task at hand of being a GM for a professional football team. So this this is a guy when he was with Houston, with Houston, that before he would make a decision in terms of what they needed to do as a football move, he would get the folks together in terms of the decision makers and those who were helping him make that decision before we, before they would make the, before they would, they would make the decision, they would all hold hands and pray. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I have the same look on my face too. They would hold hands and pray. To which those people were like, well, "Okay, this is kind of awkward, but um, you know, bills need to be paid. My kids need food and clothing on their back, so." Alrighty, but uh, that's the situation with Jack Easterby, a guy who took every shortcut to get to where he is, no experience, no nothing. And this is the guy who's ultimately going to be running the Texans. You see now why Deshaun Watson's like, yeah, um, something tells me that this ain't going to be for me. I- I'm not going to be Archie Manning. I'm not going to be this generation's Archie Manning in terms of me being a really good above average quarterback which if I went to a stable organization, I had an outside shot to make the Hall of Fame, but because I went to New Orleans, which was a dysfunctional, god-awful organization, they basically ruined my career. Thank God for my sons. But I can understand why Deshaun Watson is like, yeah, about time for me to uh, ask for a trade. So if the Houston Texans, if they got a brain in their head, any common sense to them, Cal McNair, please, for the sake of your fan base, for the sake of your organization, for the sake of the players that are in the locker room, you've got yourself an elite, franchise, game-changing, generational, impactful quarterback right in his prime. It's either him or Jack Easterby. Do I really need to let you know? Do I really need to give my opinion on who you should think should be more valuable to your ball club? Come on, man. Do the right thing. Fire Easterby.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The final segment of the program. Look, I'm not going to go ahead and start talking about Joe Biden winning the president. I'm happy for him. I'm glad that that and the other. I'm glad that the country's moving forward. I just hope, I was going to speak about it a little bit more, but it's getting to be close to 1 o'clock in the morning, and I want to get some sleep because I have to drive up to Moapa Valley tomorrow, and I don't want to be falling asleep and uh, driving off the uh, <laughs> driving off the road as I go up I-15 uh, for tomorrow's uh, assignment. So I'm just going to uh, go ahead as far as the uh, Joe Biden segment that I was going to do. Basically, I was just saying, in terms of for him moving forward, everybody's talking about, well, what's he going to do to bring the country together? What is he going to do to bring the country together? And I'm like, well, number one, the country's never really been together. If you think if you think about the history of this country, whether it's uh, black, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's women's rights, whether it's LGBT, uh, you know, women, what is LGBT, what is it? Gay rights. Um, there's so many things that we fought for in this country, which has not caused us to come together. There would have been fractions of, you know, parts of this country, rich folks, poor folks, black folks, white folks, Hispanic folks, Republicans, Democrats. I mean, we've been split and divided on a lot of things. Now, being split and divided doesn't mean that we go ahead and have complete anarchy or go ahead and we just, you know, do things like cause insurrections and everything. But Come on, man, we fought a civil war. I mean, you know, what is this country? We had slaves in this country, for God's sakes. We had, uh, you know, we had you know, semi-concentration camps during World War II for uh, for uh, folks of Japanese descent here. I mean, we, we, we've always had racism. We've always had oppression. We've always had discrimination. We've always had ignorance when it comes to so many things. We've always been judgmental. This is a country that's been built on, on, um, on wealth. The wealthy have it all. The poor have none. So this is something where binding everybody together. You could say that we wanted to bind everybody together. A lot of people would call that socialism. Trying to make everybody happy. Man, there's no society out there where everybody is going to be happy. Um, I, I, I guess if you really wanted to, quote unquote, try to bring people closer together, again, it doesn't come from minorities because those who have been oppressed in this country, whether it be, again, black folks, whether it be women, whether it be gay and lesbian, whether it be Hispanic, whether it be Asian, I mean, whether it be women, basically all we're asking is, you know, if you could just treat us equally without any type of judgment, without judging us on our skin color, without judging us on our paycheck, without judging us on the tattoos, without judging us on who we date, without judging us on where we live. If you guys could just do that, and predominantly white males could do that and just kind of treat each other the way that you would want to be treated, that would, that would be a good start. I mean, black folks, poor folks, we ain't asking for nothing, at least the large majority of us, we ain't asking for nothing. We ain't asking for handouts. You might listen to fucking idiots on Fox News and would you please die already and give society a, 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 a gleam of hope, Rush Limbaugh and the rest of these fucking assholes, these race-baiting pieces of shit. I mean, you might listen to them and you might say that, you know, black folks want handouts and black folks are doing this and gay people are doing this and Democrats want socialism and they're going to raise your taxes and all of this type of bullshit. You might listen to those fucking idiots. You might listen to those, those people who are spouting that stuff and believe it. But here, as a black man, I'm here to tell you, the majority of black people, we don't want that. And if I could bring in Armando Vasquez, who's Hispanic, who's my good friend, he would tell you that, no, Hispanics don't want that. And if I could bring in Mia Sprinkle, who I knew back in college, who was gay, she could come in and say, no, 
lesbians and gay folks don't want any handouts. We don't want anything given to us. As James Brown said, man, don't give me integration. Give me truth communication. Don't give me sorrow. Give me equal opportunity to live tomorrow. Give me schools. Give me better books so I can read about myself and gain my truth and looks. That's all I want. That's all I'm asking for. That's all we're all asking for. That's what all minorities are asking for. But damn, you know, there's some folks, a large majority of folks, too many folks in this country, namely of the majority, who are so selfish. The fact that they don't want to give up anything. They don't want to give up anything to those who are in need. They don't want to be put in any type of small discomfort at all. So they'd rather keep things the way they are. And that was indicative by 74 million people who voted for a motherfucker who had no fucking, who had no anything in terms of good, of anything decent. People didn't give a fuck. People didn't care if they had an administration that lied to them. People didn't care if they had an administration that took away uh, the separated of families and put children in cages. They didn't give a fuck if they um, if they kowtowed and, uh, and, and pony up and, and played footsies with white nationalists and racists. They didn't give a fuck. Hey, as long as you're keeping a roof over my head and a job and as long as I'm doing what I'm doing to, uh, you know, make my life better, who gives a fuck about the person next to me who might be a little bit different, whose skin color might be different than mine, whose sexual preference might be better than mine, whose political affiliation might be different than mine, whose uh, religion might be different than mine. Who gives a fuck? As long as I'm doing okay, let that motherfucker who's in the White House now rain hell on those guys. Sink or swim, Jenny, Jimbo, Jose, Joaquin, Josephine. Swim on your own. I'm doing fine the way I am. And, you know, there's a lot of white folks out there who are a political proof. Good for you. To where they're living their life to whether... The jackass that was in the presidency uh, for the last four years or for Joe Biden, don't worry. There's plenty of white folks out there, plenty of black folks out there, plenty of Asian folks out there who are uh, politically, who are financially set to, uh, you know, deal with whatever. That's not going to really affect them one way or the other. But there's millions upon millions of others who lives were at stake, who financial lives were at stake. But you motherfuckers didn't see it that way because it's like, I don't care. Uh, the guy that's in the White House right now giving me a tax break. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Screw everybody else. So, you know, asking Biden to bring those people and those forces together it ain't going to happen. Not going to happen. Joe, Joe Biden can't fix ignorance. Joe Biden can't fix, you know, jackasses who believe that white folks are being more oppressed than black folks. I mean, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to fix that? I mean, how are you going to fix that stupidity? Joe Biden ain't going to be able to uh, bring folks together who are living in predominantly white, black, Hispanic communities throughout this country. White folks don't care about what's happening in the black communities because they live in white communities. Black folks really don't care about what's happening in white communities because they live in black communities. So why why should I give a damn? Black folks don't care about what's happening in poor white trash America because they don't care. And white folks who are living in, you know, middle class, upper middle class America, they don't give a fuck what's going down in the ghetto. They don't give a fuck. As long as those people don't come up to my neighborhood, as long as those people don't start dating my kids, as long as those people don't go to the same schools that my kids do, why do I give a fuck? I don't care. Why do I care? If I'm living in, if I'm living in Summerlin, why do I care about what's happening in you know, the bad parts of North Las Vegas? If I'm living in Beverly Hills, why do I give a fuck about what's happening in Inglewood? If I live you know, in a rich area of Miami, Miami, why do I give a fuck about what's happening in uh, Liberty City? 
if I'm living in a nice section of Chicago, why do I care about what's happening on the south side? Why do I give a fuck? As long as you keep those people away from me, I'm cool. I'm good. So there's 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 no there's no authority figure that's going to uh, change that. You can't force integration. You can't do it. You you can't force poor folks upon rich folks, regardless of what their color is. So. You know, with the dark times ahead, we got a virus that we got to deal with. There's some other things that we got to deal with in this country. So there's a long road ahead. And I'm quite sure with the uh, next election coming in two years, I'm quite sure the scumbags like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Kevin McCarthy and all those fucking worthless motherfuckers are going to use um, the bad times that are going to be facing because of the previous administration to ram that home to say, see, I told you Joe Biden was no fucking good. I told you all this nonsense about, you know, 100 million vaccines in 100 days. I told you that was bullshit. Going back into the Paris Agreement, I, I told you he's more interested in people in Paris than he is in Pittsburgh. I told you, I told you, I told you. And living in the dumbest country and on the planet, there's enough people that will believe that shit. So, you know, there you go. So I'm just going to do what I can do my best to... uh to move forward and see what I can do to see tomorrow. That's all I can do. Maybe I can, you know, go ahead and keep watching these Peloton commercials where they're talking about, come on, Pelotoners, you can do it. They can't stop you. They can't break you. They can't bitch you. Would you just fucking shut up and just count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four? I don't need no goddamn like, we can't stop you. You're the best. You King Kong. King Kong ain't got shit on you. You can do it. Reach for the skies. You're number one. All right, all right, all right. Jeez. Just... Just let me uh, deal with my agony. <laughs> you like the way I made that transition to, uh, you know, politics to uh, working out, right? Look, no, what I get LBAC is like, you know, I, I, I don't mind, you know, I don't mind the instructors when I'm doing body pump or I'm doing some stuff to get me in shape to, you know, give me some motivational things. But when you start doing the bullshit of, you know, they can't stop you. They can't break you. You can do this. You're just number one. You're just, all right, Jesus fucking a Christ. I'm just trying to get through this. Just. Just give me the, you know, we're almost there. Get it done. This, that, the other. I don't, I don't need a, I don't need y'all to go Nuke Rotney, Vince Lombardi on me. Please, just, just, just knock it off. Windows World is fourth time. I haven't been to the gym in a long time either. It, yeah, we have to wear a mask in the gym. I mean, come on. I can barely breathe when they do that stuff. You try doing squats for Les Mills body pump with a, with a, uh, with a mask on. And see if you don't pass out because you can't breathe. Jeez. Wendell's World is Sports Time, your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, so the end of program, Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving. What's Irving? Irving, Irving. Goodness gracious. Very entertaining game that I saw. Um, Milwaukee and the Milwaukee and the uh, Brooklyn Nets. Milwaukee winning 125-123 the other night. Well, Brooklyn winning 125-123. Then I watched, uh, just finished watching tonight, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Colin Saxon went nuts, scored 20 straight points. The Cavaliers won in double overtime, scoring like 142 to 135, something like that. Just your typical, just your typical game over at the Drew League in terms of the defense that was being played. But, you know, for the good part, good win against Milwaukee. They're going to be playing the Lakers tomorrow, so we'll see how that happens. But um, it was a good game from um, Brooklyn. Milwaukee is going to be one of those teams that they're going to have to beat if they want to make it to the uh, championship round. So they beat them on the road, which is 
Did they beat them on the road? I don't know, but no fans. It's like, who knows? But uh, still, it was a good win. But, uh, you know, the return of Kyrie. Kyrie Irving joins, uh, joins the Nets. Say he just said he just needed a needed a pause. Don't we all just need a pause sometime? Do you don't you need a pause from your from your wife, from your husband, from your kids, from your parents, from your jobs, from your homeboys, from your homegirls? Don't you just need a just 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 a pause, just a little bit of a pause? He told reporters, "I'm back. I'm happy to be back." And we got some great pieces, and we just move on. And I let my actions and my game speak for itself, like I planned on doing. Just needed a pause. Hey, man, don't no, 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 no. We all need pauses, and we all take pauses. It's called pay time off. All right, it's called vacations. You take pause. Don't, don't, don't be up there, you know, skewering and ripping Kyrie and doing all this type of stuff. Sometimes we just take. Sometimes we just need a little pause. If we can take a pause, then we uh, take it. Sometimes we just wake up in the morning and we just say, you know what, man, just not today. I'm going to call in. I'm going to use one of my uh, you know, paid times off and just kind of kick back, relax, and just do a little bit of me time. So I don't want to hear anybody talk about, well, fuck, man, Kyrie Irving. I don't get the opportunity. You need to get another better You need to get a better job then. If you're whining about Kyrie Irving taking time off because he can, because you can't, then that's your fault, not his. But uh, he came back. He practiced with the team on Tuesday, Coach Steve Nash said that he expects uh, Irving will play on Wednesday against Cleveland, as I mentioned before. Played pretty well. I think he had 30-something points. Took a lot of shots, but Irving's going to be Irving. He had missed the previous seven games with Brooklyn for, as I mentioned before, five for personal reasons to while uh, conditioning. Irving said that he had a lot of family and personal stuff going on, so just want to leave it at that. All right. I don't, I don't want to, you know, that's cool. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to know anything more. You're back. We're moving on. I don't, it's not up to me to decide, you know, whether it was the right move or not. I'm not paying your paycheck. I'm not going out there playing ball with you. If the organization thinks it's cool, if the coaches understand, if the players understand that they want to move on, then if you're the fan base, what's your problem? Well, we're fucking paying to see Kyrie. You ain't paying shit. You motherfucker. You ain't going to see the game to see Kyrie Irving play. No one's allowed in the stands. So what the fuck are you talking about? Well, I took time to watch him play. Well, then, you know, hey, find another hobby then. Find out when Kawhi or find out when Kyrie, if Kawhi was 40 and slip, find out when Kyrie is not playing. And then you can kind of structure your uh, two and a half hours, which you were going to be devoting to Kyrie Irving. Maybe you should devote it to your kids. Or maybe you should devote it to your husband. I don't know. Do something else. You're going to get so bent out of shape because Kyrie Irving is going to play. It's going to you know, cause you to have a conniption. Come on now. Come on. He had a lot of family and personal stuff going on. Well, you know, he was spotted in the club and he was doing this and he was doing that. None of my fuck. I don't know why Kyrie Irving was was at a party without a mask on. I don't know. I don't know what Kyrie Irving was doing the hours or minutes or days before which led him to the video that was shot. I don't know. Now... He had to pay a penalty, which he did because he broke protocol in terms of not wearing a mask, self and safety protocols, uh, attending a family's birthday. He was attending a family's birthday party. So, and he lost more than $800,000 in salary for the two games he missed while in the quarantine. All right. That's his money. It's not your money. It's not my money. What do you want to do with his money? That's his, that's his business. Not yours. Not mine. Kyrie Irving. You know, playing and acquiring the $800,000, that ain't going to help me with my mortgage. 
That ain't going to help me pay my bills. It ain't going to help me put gas in my car. And I'm quite sure it ain't going to do the same thing for you. So why are you fucking bent out of shape about how much money he lost playing the games? Why are you so bent out of shape about him attending the uh, attending a party, a birthday party? Why? You weren't invited to something? You mad about that? You got some connection to Kyrie Irving and his family that uh, he should have been that you should have been invited to his birthday party, and since you didn't, you're gonna be all mad about it. Uh, you know, whatever. We're talking about what five, four, five games into the season, or seven, eight games into the season. He missed seven games. All right. Now, okay, if we were in the playoffs and he did some shit like this, all right. Maybe <laughs> I might be a little bit more salty about it if I was a Brooklyn Nets fan if he just needed a pause. During the second round of the playoffs, which caused the team to uh, lose, I might be a little bit more upset on that. But I mean, you know, he's taking a break during the um, early part of the season. So Kyrie is just being Kyrie. I don't work with him. I don't have to play with him. He doesn't have any responsibility for me in terms of whether he plays or not. So he had family to deal with. He had family issues. He dealt with. He's dealing with them. I don't know if he. I don't know what it is. I don't want to know. I don't care. So we're moving on. So we're moving on. How is this going to work? You know, against uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn against Milwaukee. Harden, 34 points, 12 assists. He played 41 minutes. Durant scored 30, nine rebounds, 36 minutes. There might be a little bit of an issue if you're taking a look at Brooklyn moving forward because Harden is averaging over 40 minutes a game and he's not even in game shape yet. He's not even in NBA level basketball shape yet. Durant coming off an Achilles tear, I know 18 months ago, but still, he's averaging 38 minutes per game. DeAndre Jordan played 38 minutes against Milwaukee. That's the most he's played all season. He played only 30 minutes once this season. So, yeah, he scored 12 points, season high. He went 6 for 6, mainly off of uh, uh, Harden's facilitating and Durant's facilitating. So, I mean, this wasn't something where he was Kevin McHaling his points. Um... You know, 34-year-old Jeff Green is the starting power forward. He's averaging over 30 minutes a game in the last three games. This, this is not sustainable. <laughs> this is not sustainable. So uh, everybody wants to focus on Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie. Ah, I, I'm thinking more about what are they going to do on the front court? Where are they going to go? I, I mean, you take a look at Cleveland, Andre Drummond. He he, he will be available, especially since the acquisition Cleveland's acquisition of Jared Allen, but Brooklyn didn't have anything to offer to get Andre Drummond. And Cleveland just ain't going to let him go. Um, I don't know of any other big men out there that can just get... DeAndre Jordan cannot be averaging 38, 35, 30 minutes a game. That's not DeAndre Jordan's game anymore. That's not his impact anymore. This ain't the DeAndre Jordan who was with the Los Angeles Clippers with Lob City. Five, six years ago. DeAndre Jordan is not that guy. So who are you going to have backing him up? What, this guy Reggie Perry or something like that? The rookie who's 6'9", who's floor-bound? That's that's not going to work. Yeah, he might be able to score a little bit, but how is he going to be able to defend the paint, defend the rim, especially when you have guys like um, Kyrie and James, who, shall I say, are um, at defenders. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, how can I be polite and nice about this? At defenders, they're... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Bad? Yeah. So uh, you're going to have to need a rim protector. So uh, DeAndre Jordan might be good, ideally, for 12 to 18 minutes, but 30? 
35, 38. This, this is going to be something that I'm going to be discussing all year long. And again, as these guys take time to figure things out, and when you're dealing with, you know, the offensive talents and the intelligence of a Harden, Kyrie, and a Kevin Durant, I'm, I'm not worried about those guys figuring it out on the offensive end, especially with Mike D'Antoni at the, um, I guess you could say, the offensive coordinator for that team. No, no, those three will be fine. I'm not worried about that. I'm also not worried about their egos because they have to chew all the time. Kyrie, KD, they have rings. James is looking for a ring. His reputation is on the line in terms of him being the ultimate winner. So I, I don't think this is going to be a situation where James is going to be dribble, dribble, dribble to the point where KD and Kyrie are going to be looking around saying, damn, man, you, you're really going to be doing this shit again? Especially with him coming to Brooklyn. This is not Houston where he was the face of the franchise where he dictated how, <clears throat> excuse me, how everything went. Him now coming to Brooklyn, he's going to have to uh, modify his game just a little bit. And I meant to say just a little bit, because we are speaking about a guy who is one of the best scorers, one of the most talented scorers in NBA history. Why in a role would you try to curtail that in any way, shape, or form? It's just more of a blending, more than it is a you know, philosophical change on how he plays basketball. So offensively with those three, not worried about that. My, my, my deal is, you know, defensively, Who's gonna Who's gonna guard the paint? Who's gonna guard the post player? Who's gonna guard Joel Embiid mainly? And defensive wise, I mean, what are we gonna do here? Now I think those guys are so talented. Everybody's gonna be like, well, you know, if these guys go in the playoffs and after you know, four out of seven, after seven games or six games, you know, teams are gonna know, especially if they play, you know, they play each other the entire year. So. Teams are going to know the sets that the Nets run. They're going to know what they want to do and all those type of things. I'm not worried about it because Harden, Durant, and Kyrie are so talented that it doesn't matter that you know they're going to be running these type of players or going to be trying to get their guys into certain situations. It doesn't matter. Those guys are so talented, they'll score 30 anyway. Those guys on any given night, not any given Sunday, say Sundays, but any given night, those guys are going to be able to explode for 35, 40, 45 points. Not all three combined, but you know, you're going to have a situation where some nights Kyrie's going to score 24, Harden's going to have 28, and Durant's going to have 40. And then you're going to have other nights where Kyrie's going to score 45, Harden's going to score 31, and Durant's going to score 22. I'm not, I'm not worried about that shit. And, and none of those guys who are on the low end of the scoring is going to be sitting in this locker going, God damn, man, I can't believe I scored only 22 fucking points while Harden up there scoring 45. He shot fucking enough. I can't fucking believe this. Those guys have already been too accomplished. Those guys are making too much money. Those guys don't need to prove anything in terms of I need my points. I need my shots. I need this, that, and the other. Harden's 32. Kyrie is 29. KD is 32. Man, for them, it's all about, look, my, my legacy and everything else is set in stone individually. Now it's about me chasing championships. And if Harden has to go from averaging 33 to 26 to do that, I don't think that he's going to be pouting or moaning or crying or whining and I want the fucking coach fired. This is bullshit. I want to be traded again. And I ain't going to do any of that. So for me, again, as I end the program, as I end this podcast, my only question moving forward with the Brooklyn Nets is who's going to guard the paint and who's going to make that uh, sacrifice on defense. I think if Kyrie... In James, it's not like they're bad defenders on purpose. Like if they just flip the switch, the, uh, flip the, the uh, switch, that all of a sudden they could become you know the second coming of Tony Allen. I'm not, I'm not, 
I just don't think, I just don't think James and Kyrie, they're just not good defenders. They're not good on-ball defenders for a certain period of time. Just the way it is. Just the way it is. You know, a guy who can only run four six. I don't care how many. I don't care how much you change his style and everything like that. He ain't going down the four two. Anybody who has a anybody who has a thirty four inch vertical leap. I don't care how many squats and leg presses and green smoothie drinks and night eight hours of sleep and sleep in the hyperbolic chamber. I don't care how much you maintain and you work. You ain't getting the forty two inches on a vertical. You might get the thirty six. 35 and a half, maybe 37, but a 34-inch vertical is what God gave you. God gave James Harden and Kyrie Irving the ability to play basketball at the offensive end for a high level. He didn't, Lord didn't make this guy to play shutdown defense. And they're too busy, again, the responsibilities on offense, you wouldn't even want them to be concentrating that much to where it would take away anything from their offensive game, so... Their role on this team is to score, not to play lockdown defense for the 35 to or the 32 to 38 minutes they're on the court. Steve Nash is out there treating those guys harder than Durant, DeAndre, Jordan, Jeffrey. Who did he? Where, where did he go to school? As far as minutes are concerned, the Tom Thibodeau school of uh, player minutes. Jeez. Oh, all right. I'm out of here. Well, I'm not out of here. It's time for me to go to bed. Interesting. I wonder who I'm going to be. I wonder what I'm going to be dreaming about tonight. My mind is pretty active right now. So usually in these situations, I have some pretty interesting dreams when I go to bed and get ready to go. I'll be knocked out within a half an hour, which means I'll be waking up in approximately, oh, five hours. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow's going to be awesome. All right. So I want to thank if I if the Lord gives me the ability to wake up tomorrow. We will see. We will see. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program out there all over this world. Be safe. Be happy. Be harmonious. Treat everybody with love and the way that you would want to be treated. Peace, love, happiness, unity. And if you're a good person, please, man, stay the man and woman. Please stay the way you are. The, uh, the world needs you. I need you. We need you. Stay safe. Stay good. Peace, love, happiness, music. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking. Time for thinking ahead. The world's changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war, and poverty. Oh, 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 wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up, and the world is in their hands. When you teach the children to jump the very best you can. But just let it be na, 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 na. The world won't get no better We gotta change it now Just you and me Wake up all the 